It's a new day. Yes, it is. I am Vaughn Johnson. You got me mad now. You know, you got a bicycle. Feeling good. Well, the st- skeptics and all the people have a little bit of... Let me do this again. Oh, it's live, pal. Sorry. We ride the bicycle in the arena. With my man, man, Pots and Pants, Nick Bacone. That's me. I don't know where the kid is that was riding it, but he ain't on it when they brought it to the ring. Tomorrow, I'll let you kick your face off. I'm down with that. But I don't like it when things are going my way. Don't you dare be sour! He don't know nothing else. <laughs> you know that wrestling, like he know that wrestling bro. <laughs> Give me a hell yeah! I said give me a hell yeah! What's up ladies and gentlemen out there in internet land and welcome to episode 286 of the Stray Shooters Available wherever podcasts are found. My name is Vaughn Johnson, and I'm joined as always by my main man, Pots and Pans, Nick Bacone, the Philly voice and Philly influencer. And we have yet another fantastic show ahead of us tonight. We're going to have a deep dive, a Patreon request this time, though. So I told you we're going to get back to them Patreons, and we got one this week. We're going to dive deep into Vengeance 2005 from, of course, good old World of Wrestling Entertainment. So there's a lot to talk about with this show, including a Hell in a Cell match. The timing couldn't be better as far as you know when we're talking about that, since the next pay-per-view from WWE is Hell in a Cell. Uh, but it was a Hell in a Cell main event. Not that, you know, it wasn't the name of the event. The name of the event itself was Vengeance. Uh, but, you know, Hell in a Cell. We got John Cena being WWE champion for the first time. Uh, a lot of stuff going on in the show with WWE Vengeance 2005. And we're going to have a discussion about some current events, because a lot happened today. A lot of news broke today. Some sad news, actually. Uh, Some unfortunate news about some more WWE releases and the scuttlebutt surrounding these high-profile releases. And these releases are high-profile, to say the least. Um, But before we get into all that, I got to do my weekly check on my main man, Pots and Pants, Nick McCone. How you doing tonight, my good brother? A little nervous. <laughs> I think we both are a little nervous, but we're going to get through this. We're, we're uh, about a half hour. Is it 7 o'clock start? I don't know. I guess it's like we're about, a, so. we're about a half hour that from, makes sense. from the Sixers-Wizards game five. Again, for the second week in a row, we're recording as right. the game's going to start. Only this time, our beloved Joel Embiid is not playing because he Look. got injured. I don't want to talk about and, it. And uh, you, yeah, you you said that to me before, so like we'll kind of just skim over it. But I don't want to talk about because it. once he got hurt, like all the DX stuff went away. So like we didn't get I've, the bask in that. <laughs> at I've, at I've all. cried enough. I've I'm I'm done crying. I've cried my tears out already, man. I just wanted you're all come cried on, let's out. Let's get out this series. Let's just win this game. Let's get to game. Let's get to the second round. I'm all cried out, as they say, right? If I had that sound bite from that song, I would play it, but I don't, unfortunately. But it's, it's you, you should get Mary J. Blige. Yeah. I'm not going to cry. I'm not going to shed no tears. I'm done. I've shedded all the tears from Joel and B getting hurt. I'm done. Sad. So yeah, I don't want to talk about sad. it no more. So I've moved past it. Definitely a somber feeling uh, in the Philly area for those not familiar. So. Yeah, we're not. You know, you know, as Philly fans, we're not prone to overreacting at all. No, you know, all. so this is unusual for us. <laughs> Overreactions. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, 
So yeah, it's a, it's a beautiful day out here in Philly. You know, it's, it is. It's the weather's been pretty nice lately. Yeah, yeah. Got my air going finally. Although you know this right. Memorial Day weekend, I actually really enjoyed it because it's you know the temperatures were low. It was rainy, and that part I didn't really like. But it was one of those where like you didn't care if you stayed home and stuff. So uh, it was like I was in. I didn't view it as a bad thing. A lot of people were like not having a great time with the weather but i was just kind of like eh. hey i could open my window it's cool memorial <laughs> the day itself wasn't bad memorial day i don't remember it being too yeah. bad on the day of yeah that that was like the best day of the weekend like that monday but i'll tell you friday saturday sunday it was great for me <laughs> <laughs> everyone else was miserable and i'm just sitting here like yeah man I'm cool. <laughs> Let's just open up the window and enjoy the breeze. Yeah, so. it was like in the 50s and stuff. I'm like, this is what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah, I threw up throwing a hoodie last yeah. week. I was like, oh. yeah. It almost felt weird throwing a hoodie because it's been so nice recently. And mm-hmm. now we're back, like I said, back in the 80s. Uh, yeah. You know, back <laughs> to normal spring into summer weather here in Philly. Um but yeah, lots going on in the world, obviously. We lifted uh, capacity restrictions, I believe, today in Philly. Yeah. So, yeah. I don't know about the mass mandates or not. I think that's happening soon, too. But, like, the capacity restrictions in a lot of different uh, establishments, uh, like restaurants and bars, were lifted today, I believe. So, if you're in the Philly area and you want to go to the bar, have at it. <laughs> you know, if, you, if you're fully vaccinated, do it. If you're not... Take that risk if you want to. I mean, yeah, I mean, people are gonna do it. I've been out shopping, and you know, I stopped at Walmart today, and I've, I saw people without masks, but I saw a lot of people with masks too. So, oh yeah, you know, I'm sure there's fully vaccinated people that are still gonna wear their masks. I'm one of them. Yep, just because, I'm one of them as well. You know, it's I'd rather do that than not at this point. You know, at the stage we're in, you know, fast forward a year from now, maybe it's different, but for now, I'm happy to do it. It doesn't affect me. You know, physically at all, like so. When people say, "Oh, I can't breathe in it," like I, I can't relate because, like, I've found ways to get around that. If if I felt like a mask wasn't allowing me to breathe correctly or breathe as good as I can, but yeah, I'll leave, I'll leave it on when I go out shopping and stuff like that. So, it is what it is. Nobody said anything to me. No smart ass comments that you know. I'm sure they're gonna come eventually. You know, people just have to comment yes. on something. I was yes. at a wedding. You know, a couple of weeks ago, and I guess somebody drove by that was wearing a mask, and somebody and standing around just had to have the feeling to say something out loud, like you don't need a mask when you're driving alone in your car. It's like, can you just shut up? Like, you don't need to say anything. You absolutely do not need to ever say anything ever. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm I I I've tried to go maskless when I'm walking down the street just to see how it is and mm. it's generally you know it's been okay now when I go inside of places the mask goes on like if yeah. I go like you said shopping or um, if I'm on the L here in Philly with the, the Market Frankfurt line as you know it's officially called or the blue line uh, but or like you know if I'm going to get some beer or something like that I go in the store put my mask on before I go in the store but when I'm walking down the street you know it depends if there's a bunch of people around obviously I'm putting it on but you know, it's just a good way to prevent germs in general. That's it. And listen. You know what I'm saying? You know, you got 
if you're one that suffers allergies and pollen, you're I'm happy to put it. Yeah, on. that's you. I don't I don't have to. It's me. Yeah, that's that's also part of it. I, as soon as soon as I step out, I I just throw it on when I walk to my car. My car is covered in pollen too. So I'm not I'm not exactly, you know, away from it. Like I'm still rubbing my eyes. I'm still having allergic reactions to to this stuff, but. It's not as bad as it was in years past because I'm, you know, it's not getting around my mouth area or my nose. It's just basically my eyes. You know, it's not getting in my throat. I don't have a sore throat. I'm not, you know, coughing or anything uh, because of allergies like I would be, you know, previous years. And hey, listen, I'm not coaching anymore. So <laughs> not being outside and, and around that grass, those trees all every single day for three or four hours, you know, it's, it's helping too quite a bit. Yeah, yeah. So enough allergy talk. We got to move on to some wrestling talk. And our wrestling talk starts with current events and some unfortunate events. Uh, some of you listening to this may have heard by now, but if you didn't know, WWE made another round of releases, which is like, damn, haven't they done this once or twice already before this year? And the answer is like, yes. And they usually do it in like one fell swoop, but here they go again. Making releases and boy, did they make some high profile releases to say the least this time around? Uh, they released six people, uh, starting off the top of the list Braun Strowman, <laughs> former Universal Champion Braun Strowman. Yes, the guy who won the Universal Championship at WrestleMania last year. Yeah, the pandemic WrestleMania, but it was still technically a WrestleMania. Uh, Alistair Black, Ruby Riot, Lana, Santana Garrett, and Buddy Murphy. All six released by WWE unceremoniously today. Uh, before we get into, I guess, the second part of this, because there's a lot of scuttlebutt as to why these releases are happening, let's talk about a couple people who were released. Of course, we got to start with Braun Strowman. <laughs> what the hell happened here with Braun Strowman that he's released? I would love to know the, well, we'll probably never know, but the logic behind why Braun Strowman was released, um, I was surprised to say the least, but we got Braun Strowman who was a couple years ago, I would say in 2017, one of arguably the hottest, one of the hottest acts they had on TV, and then... I feel like, personally, when they had him tag up with the kid and win the tag team titles, it went downhill from there. Uh, but, you know, things were looking up when he won the Universal title last year. And they gave him the big entrance with the smoke and all that stuff. And then he started feuding with Bray Wyatt. And they just, just, that didn't go well neither. <laughs> right? And then now we're here. What the hell happened, Nick? You remember how he would always say, I'm not finished with you. Yeah. Well, I guess Vince said, I'm finished with you. So <laughs> that That's a it. damn shame. That was it. <laughs> that was it. Wow. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, yes. Yeah, sure. I mean, oh, look, people you, have been making fun of Braun Strowman today because he had this comments last year about people saving their money. Like, oh, you right. didn't save your money. You should be in a different profession when people were losing their jobs at the beginning of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And now here he is about a year later or so uh, losing his job as well. So I hope he saved his money because that was a clown comment by him. That was silly. <laughs> um, 
But it still doesn't take away from the fact that WWE, I think, I think they dropped the ball with Braun. I know we say that about a lot of people, but what what did Braun did not? What did, <laughs> what did he not do for WWE? He was massive. He was huge. He had personality. People were into him, especially in 2017. He got over, probably sooner than they expected, but he got over. And then they just was like, uh, we don't know what to do now. They, I don't understand. They absolutely never strike while the iron's hot, and never. It's. So crazy to think about, like how could a company with those resources and creative minds just, if it's one person, because yes, it's one person, but I'm sure he has people that agree with him in there, and then he has people that disagree with him in there. When I, I wrote years ago, and I think it was like on my own Medium page, uh, like after, you know, his main event, his raw main event with Big Show, you know, Braun really started catching on. And it wasn't, it was like leading up to WrestleMania and it's like, okay, like that, that's cool. And I think it was a year later where they, I really thought they needed to push him, like give him the Daniel Bryan treatment, push him have him win the title at WrestleMania, and they just decided not to for whatever reason. I mean, he had to look. He was getting over. He was fine in the ring. Like, he wasn't the greatest wrestler, but, like, there's only a handful of people that are really, like, great wrestlers at this point in WWE. And, I mean, at that point, you know, at this point, they have a lot of great wrestlers, but for someone to connect with the crowd like that, and you just don't take advantage of it, and then you hear... You know, Vince saying these A&E documentaries that, you know, it's all about connecting with the crowd and having that connection with the crowd. And it's like, but you, there's so many people that have done it that just don't give the opportunity to, whether it's not in your specific plan. But then just switch plans. Like, if this is truly about the fans, you're going to do what the fans react to. And they haven't done it since Daniel Bryan, really. And they backed their way into that. I just, I don't understand the thought process. And, you know, like I know business enough to realize, like, at least in the wrestling business, I mean, not everyone, also not everyone's going to be, uh, I get, or react to it like an Eddie Guerrero when he won the title. And apparently it was just like, you know, too much pressure for him. So they wound up having to take it off him a few months later. But, not everyone's built like that. Like, I mean, do they think not everyone can handle that pressure? Like, I, I don't know. I, I really don't know. And for me, you can't you can't be afraid to take that chance because you have so many resources to just replace somebody if something like that happens. You have storylines you could do. Like, it's the wrestling business. You have ways you could write people off TV if they have to go away for a while. Uh, even if it's for their mental health, like you have that ability and they just don't do what they can. And it's, it, it's I, I just don't understand, you know, for a company that is the size of WWE, like why they, do, it, they always shoot themselves in the foot and I'll never understand the thought process behind it, whether 
you know, because Vince always justifies himself one way or the other. So he's going to have a reason why they didn't, you know, strap the rocket to Braun Strowman back when he was the hottest thing in wrestling. And, you know, I hated him before. And then once you get me on board and I'm writing articles about you to <laughs> say, like, hey, WWE should have him win the Rumble and then go into WrestleMania and win the title because that's how over he was. The crowd reactions he was getting rivaled anyone in the business then. And then, you know, it was reminiscent almost of a Daniel Bryan pop or even a, I, dare I say, Stone Cold Steve Austin pop. Like they, Oh, let's uh, not get carried away. Well, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. There was at least one or two instances where I was just, like, kind of blown away by the pop he got at, at various points, you know, on TV. No, you bring but, up a good point in that in 20, I guess it was 2017, when his yeah. music would hit, the people would go crazy. Yeah. When that and the music would hit, and because people knew like something bad was about to happen to whoever was around, <laughs> right? So like, and not many people have that effect on the audience. And Braun for a while, not you know the entire run, obviously they haven't had fans in over a year, but for a little while there, Braun had that effect. He had like his music hit, people got out of their seats, and they just. Yeah, just I don't know what happened. Like, two two tweets here. I don't know. Well, one tweet right now for, about Braun from Voices of Wrestling. I know you <laughs> you had your heat with Voices of Wrestling, <laughs> but it was. I thought it was dead on. One, they quote tweeted somebody who said Braun was basically seven feet, three hundred plus pounds, WWE house style man. I don't know what, what that means, but that they trained from scratch. I think he's one of the guys that Mark Henry. Pretty sure Mark Henry recruited him, which is also a big loss of WWE because he recruited Braun Strowman and he recruited Bianca Belair. So if they rec- have Mark Henry still recruiting talent, AEW, who just recently signed Mark Henry, got a big acquisition because he can recruit some talent apparently. Uh, but they rec- they trained him from sc- trained him from scratch. He told the company line, and they still never made it work because of the, the, because most of their big ideas for him stank. True. <laughs> Even with the with the most on the nose WWE WWE idea for a star, they don't get it. And Voices of Wrestling quote tweeted that and said he is perhaps the best evidence that somewhere along the line, the star making machine broke beyond repair. That's a hundred percent true. Somewhere their machine of creating a star is just not working because when they were trying to build up Roman Reigns to be a star. It failed, and then Roman Reigns had to go away for all, like for like eight months or whatever it was, and come back as his pretty much as himself, <laughs> like be like now this is me, and now he's a star. When they would put him in, in the uh, the flax jackets and the in the chest protectors and have him saying suffering tuck attach, it didn't work. But now as himself, Roman Reigns is. I mean, you can put him anywhere, and he's a star. And you better respect that guy because he he's super talented at what he does. Super, he's very talented, very good at what he does. I'm not a bad guy. I'm the guy. I mean, that was that was a decent promo from him, but <laughs> he's much better now than what yeah. he was when yeah. he cut that promo. Yeah. Even like a guy like Seth Rollins, who's now just over the top ridiculous, right? <laughs> yeah. But when they first started. Building, did it work? Did, is this character, this person who he is now, is probably more memorable than what Seth Rollins has ever done. And he's been in like world title match, he's held world championships, he's beaten Triple H at WrestleMania and all this stuff. But now he's known as the guy who wears ridiculous outfits. And it's kind of working. <laughs> it's kind of <laughs> getting him over in a whole different light. 
something something is wrong with how WWE is is portraying these their stars, their quote unquote stars. Look what they did with Otis, you know, even without crowds getting over, and they were just like, okay, we're gonna stop that, and we're gonna dip that in the bud. Just stop. (laughs) Just nope. And we're gonna release your tag team partner. Right. By the way, so you don't have a tag. You can't even go back to your tag team. That was kind of successful, kind of over on its own. I just like Braun Strowman Jack to the gills, beyond Jack. He was in strongman competitions for what he was. I thought Braun was pretty good for what he was. He's not. No, he's not Shawn Michaels. No, he's not AJ Styles. He's not going to be that guy because he's seven feet damn near and almost four hundred pounds of rock solid muscle. But for what he was. I thought Braun Strowman could go, right? Yeah. And they put him in spots to to showcase him. Like, remember that match he had against Big Show when he first struck out on his own 100%. in the main event of Raw? Yep. Just it was just so you could see just how Braun Strowman good was in the ring, how good that, he was in the turned ring. Turned me around on him. One right, night, and it turned a lot of people one on night, him. One night, that's all it took, and that's it turned a, that's all it can take with so many of these guys. That, right. You know, WWE I has. think it turned a lot of people. To Braun Strowman, open people's eyes. So like, okay, he's athletic. He did a couple kip ups. He was doing like chain wrestling, which I did not expect from <laughs> that match. Um, and then from there, he was doing like the, the he had the saying, he had to get these hands. I'm not finished with you. He was throwing Roman Reigns off the loading dock, which I still find like <laughs> to this day to be one of the most hysterical segments in Raw history. It's an all timer. It's an all timer. But they just everything they put in front of him, despite the fact that he fit their mold, and like and, like this. The person said, who, I'm going to shout him out real quick, um, at the Barry Lad on Twitter, they trained him from the ground up. He didn't have a wrestling background before he got to WWE, so he was in their system. He did exactly what he was told, pretty much. And then once he got to the main roster, which is probably sooner than what he should have been, then everything they put for him to, to, to do was trash. After, once it, like I said, it started with him tagging with the kid and winning the tag titles at WrestleMania, which I knew people at the time were like, oh, it's no big deal. He'll be fine, blah, you blah, blah. You don't remember the kid's name? It was John Cone's kid. I know that yeah. much. Nicholas. Come on, man. That's Nicholas, my, get my out of here. Sir. My name's Nicholas. <laughs> get out of here. I was a tag champ. That was him. dumb as hell. And they, <laughs> who they beat? They beat the and bar? That, and that happened at WrestleMania, by the way. At WrestleMania! <laughs> Because they had no ideas for Braun Strowman in early 2018, so they had him tag up with a kid. Mind you, to Braun Strowman, like you said, to your point, was probably one of the most over people on the roster in 2017 going into 2018. They had nothing for the guy. What the hell, WWE? What were y'all doing? And then they just had him just wandering the wilderness then he looked, started looking like a, 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 a militia member recently. And then they gave him the title. And then they uh, he beat Goldberg for the title. I mean, yeah. granted, he wasn't supposed to be in that spot. That's supposed to be Roman Reigns doing that. But they did it. with They chose Braun Strowman. He's the next guy up. Which is, you know, that's I guess that says something about Braun Strowman. I don't know. And he had a run. But the run consisted of him going against Bray Wyatt in those terrible trash-ass matches. And that terrible trash ass story. And that was like his first, really, and only real like major storyline when he was the champ was Bray Wyatt stuff. 
You know how I feel about that. Mm-hmm. The Bray Wyatt uh, creative trash. And it's like, what does? And then now, he, since he's been still wandering the wilderness, just here hanging out, and then it's like, well, time for him to go. What the hell? What the hell? This is wasted potential. He did everything you asked him to do, probably. Yeah. And and just wasted. Dude with that size and that and that amount of charisma. He he was good with being a babyface. He could play a heel easily, obviously. I didn't understand it. Next guy I want to talk about, Alistair Black. I mean, I remember thinking that this is going to be a future main event. As soon as he got to NXT, it's like, yep, he's going to be in the main event one day. What the hell happened, WWE? <laughs> like, how is he Main not, roster, WWE. How is he not, like, headlining pay-per-views, you know, when he's healthy? But, like, come on. What the hell happened? You turned him into Solid Snake. That's what you did to him from Metal Gear Solid. Nick, I don't know if you've played Metal Gear Solid before. No. Doesn't sound like you have, but <laughs> you need to buy a PlayStation right now and, and play some Metal Gear Solid. But eh. <laughs> I'll think about it. And NXT, when Alistair Black showed up at NXT, it's like, oh, I like this. I like all of this. Okay. Super brooding guy, super athletic, at the crazy finishing move. Remember the few you have a Velveteen Dream? That was really dope when he wouldn't say his name, and he finally yeah. said that he beat him. That now Velveteen great. Dream is also gone for you know for good reasons, but <laughs> uh, it's just like, all right, damn, they got something here with him in, in NXT. Man, oh, he's gonna be. He's. I remember saying he's probably gonna be in the main event of WrestleMania one day. You could just tell NXT was like, yeah, he's one of he's he's gonna be protected big time. Everybody thinks it's going to be like a new Undertaker, which is not a good thing, I don't think, <laughs> to be. And then he gets to the main roster, and pretty much the moment he got to the main roster, he was put into a tag team of Ricochet, another guy who's been squandered on the main roster. And then from there, for one, should never been put in that tag team. Like, what the hell is this? And then from there, they just did everything they could to ruin the, everything that all the equity that NXT had built up. They added the stupid creak, creak noise to his entrance. Yeah! Like, what the hell is that? It's like they thought of ways to make them less cool. I think that's really like their MO. Like how can pretty we, much is. How, how can we cool them off? Because we don't want our main crowd to to view them or even like react to them in a better fashion than our main event scene. God forbid. You know what's crazy? I would accept that if that was their actual logic. But I think in reality, they thought they were making him cooler. I don't know, man. It's like, how can we add to Aleister Black? Which they didn't really have to do, but WWE's got to do something. Just give him the noise. But I don't like that logic, so we would disagree on that. But for me, it's it's like, okay, no one can get bigger than the brand. So why would we have these undercard acts try to make them react trying to make the crowd react better to them than our actual main event scene which is it's just oh my by the God, way we're getting another lashley mcintyre match but it's gonna uh, be a hell in a cell yeah, match yeah hopefully the final blow off but um i would imagine <laughs> but for me that that's kind of like why would you just limit yourself as a company you're limiting i don't yourself think they are though, as nick. a company They're, nick i think they really thought that was gonna be like this is gonna <laughs> put them over the top I'm convinced. I guess because it doesn't make any sense for Vince McMahon to be like, I don't want you to be a star. Even though it seems like sometimes he (laughs) does things to see, like he's actually doing that. Like he's blatantly not trying to make people stars. But it doesn't really make any sense. And like, when you think about it, right? I think they're, that's, this is like the the cool ideas that they have. Like, all right, 
got something for you. This is gonna what's gonna put you over the top. The stupid sound during your entrance. Like they did with Seth Rollins. They did it with Seth Rollins, bro. You think they did that with Seth Rollins that to, was cool, to make bro. him not a star? That was cool. No, what? To burn it down? That yeah. could, no, we didn't need that. Yeah, that was that was fire. Literal. Yeah, fire. Literally. Yeah. We didn't need that. That was not necessary. And then the crowd started reacting to it. They were like, burn it down. Yeah, uh, I guess. But they they was doing that stuff. They added the, the ricochet sound to Ricochet's theme music. Pew! <laughs> Because apparently, I guess they, they wanted, like, for him, I guess they wanted, like, a signal that he was coming out. Like, they wanted to recreate the glass breaking for Steve Austin, which is, like, you can't recreate that. Uh, why are you trying? Uh, just let him come out with his music. Don't act a pew. <laughs> we, we get it. His name is Ricochet. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> Not prob- literally. It's probably what they did with Braun. With that damn train choo-choo the, noise. Exactly. Man. That's what I'm saying. They do this with oh, other people, man. bro. And they think it's like, all right, this is going to add to the presentation. And it's like, no, it's garbage. You just Somebody's make them less sabotaging cool. from within. <laughs> I guess, man. They're convincing Vince they're good ideas. I guess, bro. I don't I don't understand why it happened. <laughs> but Alistair Black, uh, I mean, to me, he's a top guy, easily a top guy. The WWE, as soon as he got to the main roster, just was like, uh, and had this goofy stuff. And that was it. Next name. Uh, Lana, she's probably the day she's allowed to going to sign with AEW because that's where her husband is, and her and Miro should have never been split up at any point of their WWE careers, uh, but they were for some reason. But I'm sure she'll be put right with them in AEW, uh, so she'll she'll land on her feet, I'm sure. Um, Ruby Riot, though, somebody I'm interested in because I think usually I'm not the type that like will advocate for like, oh, he got released? Well, he should go there straight to AEW. Yeah, I've never really said that because AEW got everybody. Already. Everybody that's not signed to WWE, AEW already pretty much has, right? They got plenty. But I really, I honestly think Ruby Riot should go to AEW. They got an extra hour of TV, so hopefully that means more emphasis on the women's division. I think she's really talented. I think that she really wasn't properly showcased in WWE. So she, especially because she spent the last like, couple years in the tag team, so she wasn't really on her own on WWE TV. So she goes to AEW. It's like a whole new fresh coat of paint for her uh, as a single, and she could really showcase her talent. Almost like she, because it's almost like she wasn't even there in WWE. Almost like, oh yeah, I'm not gonna remember her run at all because they did not utilize her well. Right. Really, I mean, there's a whole crop of wrestlers that they didn't utilize well that I'm going to forget about. They were even in WWE, and unfortunately, she falls into that because it it can be so much better. And I'm sure she feels that way, too. You know, she probably wouldn't blame anyone for just kind of like, like, these these segments on TV are so uninteresting, and they make them react so, like, not real-life reactions to, like, moves and stuff, and like stories storylines like they're just not good so why would i be interested i barely i don't remember really a match that come pop, sticks out of my mind on the main roster that she was involved in and that's simply no. not her fault i mean it's, they had good they had good tag team matches but it's right, a single that, none yeah and that's not her fault it's completely the fault of the people making the decisions there yeah it's 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 rough bro it's rough it's 
Ruby Riot again, I think is extremely talented. I think she'd be a great ad- addition to AEW's women's division. Again, I'm not like again, I'm not the person to always advocate for somebody. Oh, you got cut by WWE? Go on down to Jacksonville. But in this specific <laughs> case, be, uh, again, go down south. <laughs> <laughs> right. Not, instead of Atlanta, old, same old. It's crap. Jacksonville. Uh, but in this specific case, I think AEW fits with AEW. Not AEW fits in there. Of course, AEW fits in AEW. I think Ruby Riot, or as she was known in the Indies, Heidi Lovelace, fits in AEW and in within that women's division. So make it happen, AEW. The, the moment that she's available, I think she'd be a good addition, uh, you know, to the company. So here's another part of this though that people are chatting about on the social media platforms because they you know these are high profile releases and wwe's made a couple of these high profile releases recently what what what, what's the point what 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 are we doing here why is wwe doing this right well the scuttlebutt the word on the street (laughs) is that wwe is getting is clearing high salaries off their books Pretty much trimming the fat, so to speak, to an order in an effort to maximize profits from where their eventual sale, which is like, whoa, okay, because you know, for a couple of years, WWE was hoarding all the talent, <laughs> why they had so many people, uh, and they were just signing people left and right, and not only signing them, but then. Locking them up to long-term deals, four, five, six, seven-year contracts, handsomely paying people, and apparently this strategy, according to people on the on Twitter at least, is is being reversed. So they're no you longer mean the people that know everything. Apparently, they know everything. I'm I'm just based off of them. I'm you one know, of them, by the de- way. I said I said that too, but you know, I'm I'm been wrong once. I'll be wrong again. Yeah, we we'll, we'll have to wait and see what happens. But WWE. Tr- Traditional strategy is to crush competition or just just like they're just paranoid. It's like, we don't want you to sign with the competition. So here's $400,000 more dollars, <laughs> you know, yeah. and three more years, like something like that, right? Because I think the, the the Carl Anderson and Luke Gallows talked about like how they got offered like a ton of money before yeah. they got released yep. uh, just so they wouldn't go to AEW. And they, in their minds, uh, regret the decision to of not of, of not signing those contracts and going to AEW when they when they first started, instead they signed those contracts. It's just like, man, I I can get an indoor pool and an outdoor pool with this money. Like, let's do it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, so that strategy apparently has changed since Nick Khan has joined the company and he started making some changes. Uh, I think last week they released a bunch of production people, people who worked on the media side of things, which that's unfortunate for them. Yeah, they uh, consolidated, like, the media and studios and all that. So, like, three different departments are now, like, under one umbrella. It's just, like, WWE media or something. Yeah. Right. So, apparently, again, the strategy has changed to now they're like, hey, you know, according to the you know, Twitter, it's like they kind of come like, "Hey, man, why do we have all this talent? Like, we're not using them, the majority of them." Because uh, look, we've been saying that for a couple of years now. WWE has signed everybody damn near. 
so many people and they're hoarding the talent and all this and that and now they're, they're free to go wherever and I think that's better for the wrestling business where you got talent more spread out um, but now they've changed course in that they're trimming the fat so to speak for an eventual sale Nick do you believe that WWE this publicly traded company where I mean the majority of the Shares, I would imagine, are owned by the McMahon family. Do you think they're going to eventually try to sell to maybe a conglomerate? Because that's the only people I could think of that would buy WWE that could afford to buy it. It's a multi-billion dollar company. So we're talking like Disney, Comcast, like those type of conglomerates. Do you see that happening in the near future? I don't know about the near future. Um, I'm a little less, you know positive now than I was maybe a few hours ago um, just based off Brandon Thurston like he had mentioned some things that you know I listened to him you know when it comes to the business side of wrestling he's one of the best you know accounts out there and WrestleNomics and stuff like that which is by the way part of the Voices of Wrestling you know network so good for them but <laughs> um, he does a great job just breaking he broke down the ratings you know quarter hourly like way more intricate than you know a lot of these wrestling reporters do and so like in his he had said that he doesn't think they're gonna sell like at least right now that you know he doesn't know where that talk is coming from i kind of like get that point too because just because they're making these moves now doesn't mean they're gonna sell like a week or even a month you know it's gonna it's it's a they're the con's completely changing like i think the course of the company in order to uh, allow Vince to possibly sell if he wants to but ultimately that's Vince's call whether he wants to like sell all his stock or you know any of the stock or have like people in place like maybe if he sells he wants conditions met that you know hey make sure Triple H is the CEO I don't know make sure Stephanie is the CEO I, I don't know like that those conversations could be having could be going on right now or they could you know not have happened yet but i have a feeling like if he were to sell which i don't think he's above that i don't i don't think he necessarily wants to keep it a family company but because he bought it from his dad like you know it, it's not necessarily gonna stay a family company especially from what he's made it into and i don't know if he feels it could get bigger under like triple h and stephanie or shane or even Linda, like, I don't know if she has a part in it anymore, but I could, I don't think he's above, like, selling it. I, I think the price will have to be right, but I also think that he'll probably want conditions met at some point. Like, just don't kind of ruin it type thing. And I don't know if that's feasible. You know, if a conglomerate buys it, then they're going to do whatever the hell they want with it. You know, like, we just, WWE Network is a microcosm of that where they're, pretty much editing every single thing because now they control that WWE content. They're going to edit out what they don't like. You know, they, they could completely change the course of the company. So it, it, it would be interesting to see that happen in our lifetime if you ever were to sell it. But uh, I'm not 100% convinced anymore that, you know, I was like three hours ago. I was like, yep, yep, they're absolutely going to sell. But uh, I don't think, I, I guess right now I'm like 50-50. Yeah, I, I'd have to see it to believe it, bro. Honestly, like yeah, Vince McMahon. It's one of those like, things, probably for me too. Yeah, 
even though WWE is a publicly traded company, it's still like a family-run company where the people at the top are either that last name is McMahon or they're related to McMahon, like by marriage, if you're counting Triple H. So I'd have to believe it when I see it. And I feel like, I mean, obviously WWE is Vince McMahon's baby. Like he took it mm-hmm. from a regional promotion to a national promotion. Like that's all the man does. It's wrestling. It's WWE, not even just wrestling, but world wrestling ent- entertainment. I don't know. I like I said, I have to see it to believe. Everybody seems convinced. A lot of people seem convinced. Like this is what's going to happen. Now, if it were to happen, <laughs> who would buy it? To me, me. Well, you got eight billion dollars potentially. Thirty-two dollars <laughs> and thirty-seven cents. Let's go. All right. They might need a little bit, a little bit more, maybe fifty dollars. Um, but, <laughs> but um, to me, I mean, if it's just just based off of what, let's say we based off of where we are today. To me, the most logical. An answer to who would buy WWE. It could be anybody, honestly. Any conglomerate, I should say. I, I, I foresee it being a conglomerate. Because, again, those are the companies that can afford a WWE. But to me, Comcast makes sense, given that WWE's whole video library, pretty much, is on Peacock, which is NBC property, NBC streaming service, NBC owned by Comcast. Now, could could things change? I, maybe they won't even sell. But I'm just saying, based off of their relationships right now, especially when it comes to WWE Network, Comcast seems like the logical place for WWE to land if they were to be bought bought out and become a subsidiary of a conglomerate. Like ESPN is a subsidiary of Disney. ABC, the same. NBC, Universal, Comcast. You know what I'm saying? Like... So, we'll see. It, it'd be, if it does happen, if it ever happens, it'd be wild to see what happens. Because, I mean, like, now, just the preeminent force in professional wrestling for more than 60 years, right? Be in the hands of, technically, of a conglomerate that really doesn't do pro wrestling. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, not at the moment, at least, you know what I'm saying? This no. man won't be at the top of the heap. I mean, sure, they'll put somebody, they'll, they always put somebody in place to run it. And like somebody sitting at the top of Comcast is going to make all the decisions with WWE. They'll be like, hey, you run it. You but know who, that, you know who that could that's be? That's a Comcast decision. Uh, do you, do you think, uh, are you smelling it? You think, you, you think it could be this guy? All right. So how would that happen? Explain to me. He bought F- XFL. That's it. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> he already bought something from Vince, so <laughs> maybe he'll buy another. I thing. figured that you were going to say like, "Hey, his show is on NBC." I mean, you could <laughs> do that he, too. He's not yeah. buying. He's when not buying said, WWE. When you said nobody like in wrestling is like involved in that, he could be the guy. He could possibly be the but guy. But it's going to cost billions of dollars to he, buy he, WWE. He has it. He has it. I don't think he's got billions. I mean, The Rock is very, very rich. And but he bought the XFL because it was cheap. It was like I mean, I he know, might not like buy hundred percent of it, but he could definitely have a stake in it and uh, a, a voice. Know. 
I could here's what I could see, see happening could, with that. I could see like but I could see a Comcast buying has, it. I could totally see that. I could see a Comcast buying it and say, "Hey, Rock, you know wrestling. You run WWE now." He might turn it down or he might accept <laughs> it. I don't know, but this is all speculation. Obviously, this is all speculation. We're just no, we're fantasy gonna, booking WWE. I'm gonna, I'm gonna I'm gonna make the title of this podcast: The Rock buys WWE. <laughs> We'll get, yep. it'll be, it'll be our that'll most downloaded episode yet. Right, that'll get some clicks. <laughs> um, just live. Maybe people. Blue Wire will finally <laughs> get back to us. Maybe, <laughs> maybe. I don't even think they've listened to this at this point, but <laughs> still waiting. Come on, <laughs> let's go. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's interesting. It's interesting to speculate. Moving it's past interesting that. to. to <laughs> It's interesting to predict, yeah, and prognosticate, but we don't know anything for sure, obviously. And again, I don't know if it's going to happen anytime soon. I, I'd have to see it to believe it, honestly. I just can't even fathom, honestly, the Vince McMahon and the McMahon family turning over the keys to WWE to someone else, and they're getting told what to do, pretty much, like. Well, well, the great thing about that we'll is see. they could do whatever they want once Vince is gone. You know, they their word uh, their word doesn't mean anything unless it's in writing, and I'm sure Vince is smart enough to put it in writing. But listen, it, he might just be like, "Hey, don't sell anything until I'm gone." But, but after I'm gone, he could sell it, or maybe it's one of those things. Who knows? Vince is going to be like 120 years old, though, probably. Before he <laughs> <laughs> I just foresee Vince being like the longest living human being ever. Like on record, like 128 years old, still booking raw. <laughs> it's me, Austin. It was right. me all along, Austin. Pretty much, like he's, he's gonna, gonna say that at his funeral. He's gonna sit up. Right. It's me, Austin. <laughs> right. He's gonna say Brett screw Brett at his own funeral. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know. We'll see again. This is, it'll be interesting to see what happens with all of this. But we got to transition out of that. Uh, Nick, do you want to like throw the break in here, I guess? I can like throw it to a break, I guess. Sure. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to say that again. <laughs> so we'll transition out of that. We're going to take a quick break here on the Straight Shooters. When we come back, we're going to deep dive. Dive deep. Into Vengeance 2005, a Patreon request from our good good brother Chris Johnson uh, gave us a request this time. So check us out after this break. Deep dive, Vengeance 2005. You're listening to the Straight Shooters, featuring Vaughn Johnson and Nick Picone giving you the best and worst in the world of professional wrestling past and present. The Straight Shooters Podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, iHeartRadio, the Radio.com app, TuneIn Radio, Stitcher, Spreaker, Player FM, and wherever else you listen to your podcasts. You can become a patron of The Straight Shooters for only $2 per month by signing up at patreon.com forward slash shooters radio you'll get exclusive content never before heard from two of the best 
You can also listen to classic episodes of The Straight Shooters at ShootersRadio.com. All right, let's dive deep into WWE Vengeance 2005. Again, this is a Patreon request by good buddy Chris Johnson. Put in his request. Where did he put in his request, you ask? Patreon.com slash Shooters Radio. If you want to be like Chris and get your request fulfilled here on the podcast, go check us out there. Pay the nominal fee of two bucks. Put in your request and we will fulfill it. Another plus of having a request of being a patron of ours is that you get to give your thoughts on the show, on our show, before we even give them. Which is wild, right? He gets on the show before we do. So, Chris, pop in for a couple minutes and tell us his thoughts about Vengeance 2005. Take it away, Chris. Hey, what's going on, Straight Shooters? It's uh, your boy Chris Johnson, a.k.a. Vaughn Johnson's long-lost cousin, giving you my thoughts on Vengeance 2005. This event happened. I was 19 years old at my residence watching the pay-per-view. Didn't order the pay-per-view, but I got to watch, you know, I watched the scrambledness and some stuff coming, some images coming in so often with the scrambling and of the the feed and listening to the commentary of the match so I could kind of get a feel for what was going on. Some of the things about the show that I really, really enjoyed, I thought top to bottom, I thought it was one of the best pay-per-views that the WWE put on in this time period. I bought the DVD a month after the show, and so I got to see it then, and I was just in awe of how good the show was. One thing that really stuck out to me about the show was the set. It wasn't the greatest set by any means, but I thought it was pretty cool, and the show was in Vegas, so they had a Vegas theme. It makes sense. They had the roulette reel to the left. You had the hello, the welcome to Las Vegas Tron on top. Then you had the dice below it, and to the right, you had two playing cards, which showing which competitors were wrestling at the time. Um, some of the the matches that stood out, the opening match with Benjamin and Carlito for the Intercontinental Title, I thought it was a solid opener. Uh, showcase for Carlito just winning the title six months before or six days before excuse me I thought that was a good show good match uh, Christy Victoria it is what it was Victoria won it was a match then you had Kane and Edge personal feud with Edge taking Lita away from Kane which is ironic because Edge took Lita from Matt Hardy in real life not storyline Kane got his revenge got the win HBK and Angle I thought the match was fantastic Good follow-up for the WrestleMania 21 match. I don't think it was as good as the WrestleMania 21 match, but I thought it was a really, really good match. The German suplex onto the table that HBK took, I'm, he sold that really, really well. It looked like it hurt. Hit a couple sweet chin, uh, sweet chin music a couple times on Kurt to get the win. Like I said, I thought it was a fantastic match. Then you had the triple threat match for the WWE Championship. I thought it was a good match. Uh, Christian Jericho Cena, I thought it was good. Of course, Cena coming out on top, him just coming over to Raw in the draft lottery. Christian taking, you know, opposition to him coming over to Raw, actually at Backlash, saying it was his show, and if Cena came over, he would, you know, take the title from him. And Jericho was jealous and was was hot that Christian got the number one contendership over him. Like I said, I thought the match was good. Cena going over. A couple spots in the match that I liked. I liked when uh, Cena DDT Jericho onto the title on the floor. I thought that was a good spot. And then the FU at the end was Cena, you know, swinging Jer- Christian's legs into Jericho, taking him out of the match. <clears throat> and then the main event, the Hell in a Cell with Batista and Triple H. 
story border masterclass to build for that building to P- Batista basically from the end of 2004 through January at the New Year's Revolution pay-per-view with the chamber match. You know, Batista, uh, Triple H not helping Batista when he was getting pinned by Orton. Batista winning the Rumble and then the, the slow burn with him deciding to stay on Raw instead of going SmackDown, leaving it all to Triple H so he could take the belt from him. One of the things I really, really thought was cool was Batista with the all-white gear, the boots, the trunks, the elbow pads. I thought that was a good look for him. Um, the violence, the brutality, the blood in that match, it that match emphasized Hell in a Cell to me because it was a means to an end. It was the end of the feud. You had to have that. These two guys just beat the heck out of each other for probably 25, 30 minutes, which is what it should have been. Batista winning, retaining the title was the right decision there. That's the only finish you could have had there. Like I said, fantastic match. Great way to end the feud. And then the two went on their separate ways. Once again, guys, I appreciate the opportunity being on this podcast. The greatest wrestling podcast out today. Hands down, it's not even up for debate. Uh, Hope you guys are staying safe out there. Um, Enjoy the rest of your week. Uh, See you guys on the other side. Peace. Alright, Chris, appreciate the love as always. Uh, thanks for the shout-out. Thanks for the t- time and to, to record it and, 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 and to jump on the show a little bit and give your thoughts. I uh, probably agree with a lot of what Chris said uh, about this show. Um, but again, thanks again, Chris, for j- jumping on and joining us and giving your thoughts uh, about the show. And, and again, appreciate all the love by calling us the best wrestling podcast out there. It's not even up for debate. Yeah, according to Chris, I didn't even write apparently that my long lost cousin, <laughs> my long lost cousin. I didn't know that until recently. Oh, um, so we got look. We got to do an ancestry. Probably why he's uh, a patron. Maybe <laughs> <laughs> you got to keep it in the family. You know what I'm saying? You got to look out for each other. There's Johnsons, the millions and millions <laughs> of Johnsons there that exist out there. Uh, Dwayne Johnson, let's get him on. Pretty much, yeah. I mean, we we ain't we brothers. Dwayne, come on. We got to look out for family. It's funny. My dad used to tell me when I was a kid, we watched football games. Like, you know Keyshawn Johnson's your cousin, right? I was like, what? <laughs> and I knew he wasn't, but he would always say that. Like, Keyshawn, there's your cousin, Keyshawn Johnson. I'm like, you're not. He's not my cousin. Like, well, like why? Because so, you didn't see him at, like, family gatherings? <laughs> so you just, you knew? I but, mean, yeah. Listen, I would say. I was, like, 12 it, when you were saying I, this. Yeah, but I. I would be so gullible. I'd be like, "Sweet, he's probably like a long lost cousin," and eventually I'll talk to him <laughs> or I'll see him somewhere. Like, I would be so gullible for that. <laughs> I wasn't. I'm, he's not my cousin. He's not from Philly. I'm pretty you sure were, he's not from Philly. You were no never, fool. Never seen him. <laughs> right. Never seen him. Nothing of the sort. So, but yeah. Thanks again to Chris. You can be like Chris again. Get like Chris Johnson and be a patron. Patreon.com/slash Shooters Radio. Pay the nominal fee. Not only will we will fulfill your request, we'll also have you hop on the show and give your thoughts about whatever we're deep diving into that particular week. So it could be, again, it could be a pay-per-view. It could be a television show. It could be a movie. Man, it could be a music video if you want it to be. It doesn't matter. As long as it's wrestling related, we got you. Check us out. Patreon.com slash Shooters Radio. Now... You ready to dive into Vengeance 2005, Nick? I am ready. Play that intro. What the hell? I can't believe it! It's John Cena! 
Cell is the most dangerous match in the history of our industry. Inside of that steel cage, it could be one of the most career-ending environments that two athletes could possibly be in. There's not a hell in a cell that I can remember broadcasting where there weren't casualties. People have asked me, do I know what I'm getting myself into? And the simple answer to that is no, I don't. But I know there will be pain. I know there will be blood. I just don't care. Batista had better be prepared to lay his life on the line because I will pull the trigger. Only one of us is walking out with that title. This will be the most devastating thing Batista goes through in his career. Triple H has taught me a lot, but one thing I've got to teach Hunter, and never lock an animal in a cage. I will walk into that cell knowing full well what I have to do and I will show him why I've ended careers. You are gonna go face to face with the devil himself. I'm gonna kick the devil's ass! Oh, it's not over yet. It's gonna be over. <laughs> over. over. <laughs> oh, now it's over. Oh, nope. <laughs> there we go. There's more? <laughs> nah, that's, that's the longest intro of all time, WWE. Jeez. See, it was good, though. It's about the same uh, before the main event, too. <laughs> oh, wow. Wow. Well, yep, that's the intro of the WWE Vengeance 2005. I actually thought it was pretty good, especially the Hell in a Cell portion yeah. of it. Yep. When they talk about how dangerous the match is, which is what you want to get over when it comes to uh, this particular match. But yes, Vengeance, back in 2005, took place on June 26, 2005. It emanated from the Thomas and Mack Center in Las Vegas, according to good old Wikipedia. The what? You were 9,000. What's what? that? The what center? Thomas and Mac Center. Oh my god. <laughs> I had to. I Listen. thought you like didn't hear me, but you were just setting up a bit. <laughs> I love these bits. <laughs> I just man. walked right into it. I got 110 of them. <laughs> I just walked right into that. Oh, you can, can you hear me? You got me? Is my mic on? <laughs> what a time to be alive so according to good old wikipedia there's 9,850 people in attendance on this night not a tremendous crowd but thomas and maxson isn't a massive arena it's a the what? arena that's on the campus <laughs> don't worry i won't do that the, the rest of the night i'm sure you will but um <laughs> It's the arena that's on the campus of UNLV, so, you know, it's a college basketball arena. 
and a former home of the Arena Football League's Las Vegas, Las Vegas Gladiators, if you didn't know. I knew you would know did that. Did you know that, Nick? I knew. I did not before you said it. Well, now you know. You know what I'm saying? They had two Arena Bowls there. The Las Vegas in 2005, Gladiators? Yes. They were formerly the New York, New Jersey Gladiators, I think. Why hasn't the they moved to Las team. Vegas? Another pro sports team, I should say. Gladiators is a good yeah, name. Yeah, they've had a couple. Like, then they went from Las Vegas to the Cleveland. That was the last stop in oh, Cleveland. No gladiating, in, no gladiating in Cleveland. So, No gladiating anywhere, <laughs> really. But, <laughs> um, but yeah, they had two arena bowls there back-to-back years, 05 and 06. So not long after this show, the arena bowl was there. I think in August or July. I think the next year. Like next month, I think. I'm gonna look that up. <laughs> so, yes, yeah, you know, you know that's hallowed ground. You know what I'm saying? I love how you can look it up 19, in like two seconds. But June twelfth mm. is June twelfth before this show. So, wow. I take it back. Two weeks before this show, Arena Bowl 19 happened in Vegas. So, all right, 2005. Uh, where did it happen? Very interesting time. In, what? I'm not saying it again. I'm not Damn. walking into it this time. You would can you, play it if you want to. I'm not walking you, into it, though. Did you backpedal into it? Oh, my God. Just play it, Nick. <laughs> okay. I had a, I had a very a, a longer one, but uh, I didn't upload that one. So you're lucky. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. But again, this is before the Hell in a Cell pay per view existed. So nowadays, you know, as we are, we'll we'll get soon uh, later this month. We get a Hell in a Cell pay per view every year now, where there's you know automatic Hell in a Cell matches. Back in these days, back in our day, <laughs> it was only for a few that deserved it, not for Drew McIntyre and Bobby Lashley, but instead for Triple H and Batista. So, no pay-per-view just yet. That wouldn't come until, I think, 2009 was the first Hell in a Cell pay-per-view. Yeah, either that so, or 10. Yeah, it was, that was a strange couple of years when they did all those pay-per-views. Yeah, they, were, they did, like, was it Fatal 4-Way? Yeah. Uh, what was it? They did a submission show. Remember Breaking Point? Oh, God, yeah. That, that did have that. It was like a too. show about submissions. Oh, jeez. Um, I totally forgot about that. It that, that was, like, all submissions or something. Yeah, I did a, a couple shows that was silly like that in like twenty, like said twenty ten, twenty eleven. They were trying to like maybe if we change the names, people will buy them. It's like no, you got to change your product. <laughs> like, the names got nothing to do with it. <laughs> like UFC don't name their pay per view. It's just UFC two seventy five, and people will buy it. <laughs> like that's all it is. They don't name them. So, but WWE maybe the name if we made we named the battleground. Instead of Vengeance. Still a good one. Still a good one. That's not such a trash one. Battleground and then Stomping Grounds. You remember that? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that was a trash. June pay-per-view. Why aren't trash. we doing Stomping Grounds? Because it's June, trash. It was I don't... Ju- great, we get great Balls of Fire and Stomping Grounds. We mm. could definitely do. God. God. Request, Let's go back to 2005. When we had... If you request that on Patreon, we have no, no choice but to do it out there. So Woo! just throwing that out there. Look. If you do it, we'll do it, but pick another one, please, <laughs> if you want to be a patron. Um, 
Back in 2005, we still had good pay-per-view names, and we still had the brand-exclusive pay-per-views, so this was a Raw-exclusive pay-per-view. Mm-hmm. But this was also amidst some wild times here in 2005. This is not long after the draft lottery started, uh, which meant that people were switching shows. But in, just in general, we got John Cena and Batista had won their respective brands' world titles. So John Cena was a SmackDown champion. He was a WWE champion. Batista was on Raw, so he was a world heavyweight champion. And pretty much, they were anointed as pretty much like the co-faces of WWE. I remember the video game. I think the first, I think it was the first SmackDown versus Raw came out this year. And they were both on the cover. So it was pretty much like, oh, maybe the second one. Maybe this is 2006, not, 2000, not the first one. I think the first one was like a split of like Vince McMahon's face. Either way, um, they were both in the cover of one of the games. And it's like, these are the, these are our guys. They were pretty much saying, gone or, obviously, The Rock was long gone. Steve Austin isn't wrestling anymore. And Triple H, yeah, he's a guy, but he's not going to be the guy. We need two top big faces now, big names at the top of our roster that we're going to put, you know, ride into the future as our top guys. And they anointed John Cena and Batista. Uh, Cena would eventually become pretty much the guy <laughs> a couple years. Uh, Batista wasn't, he, you know, he didn't necessarily keep up with the pace as of John Cena. John Cena just ran away with that mantle of being the lone guy at the top. But in 2005, Batista was right, he was neck and neck with John Cena. I mean, you, you could, I'm sure there are a lot of people out there who would say, no, Batista's the guy, not John Cena. But I would be one of them. So it was right. So it was a bit of a transition time for WWE, even though there were a lot of guys still there who were um, mainstays, Kurt Angle, Triple H, Shawn Michaels, Chris Jericho, uh, and, and others. These the, the transition was happening at the top, the very top of the card, the very top of the promotion, where pretty much these guys were, you know, the, 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 the old mainstays were there... They were pretty much there to get the new guys over. And we saw a lot of that on the show. Yeah. Uh, but the, these top guys, Cena and Batista, they were firmly entrenched at the top. Right? Also happening at the same time, a month before this, we had the revival of ECW for a night. One Night Stand. Remember that? The first One Night Stand? Yeah. Yeah, I ordered that one on pay-per-view. Taped it. I'm sure a lot, and a lot of people did, because it was a big hit with the fans. This is the, like the first mainstream like ECW reunion show, and this was really a response to, of course, the success of the rise and fall of ECW coming out. You know, WWE putting out that DVD, which I think at the time was like the highest selling home video release ever, or something like that. One of their highest selling ones. Uh, but this was, you know, only four years after ECW went out of business, or WWE purchased ECW. So the reunion shows were still a big deal at this point. Nowadays, not so much. <laughs> like, uh, I went to like a kind of extreme wrestling reunion type of because they had like extreme reunion shows over the years, and you see all the same guys come back. And I went to an like, extreme rising back in like 2014 yeah. or something yep. like that. I was there too. Right, and it's just even by that point, it was like mm, this. This ain't got much life left in it, you know. These these hardcore reunion shows, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. You can't revive this. This that what what that was in the '90s. You can't replicate that nowadays. It's just especially with the same guys because they're older and they can't do it anymore. <laughs> yeah. So 
They barely were able to do how it. That's how it is. <laughs> right. But eventually, you know, after the success of the One Night Stand show, and there was just a fervor to bring back ECW, and WWE eventually did that the next year with a full relaunch that did not go well at all. As I mentioned earlier, though, we had the WWE draft lottery, I should say, because it wasn't just a draft. It wasn't like GMs or picking talent. There was like a, just a straight lottery, which I think was just WWE's way of putting people on different shows without explaining why they, they, they did it. It was like, <laughs> it's random. And it's like, no, Vince wanted to handpick certain people, but he did not want to come up with a way to have a storyline explanation for it. Instead, it's, it's up to the luck of the draw. And the first pick just so happened to be John Cena. <laughs> it's just the, the way the balls bounce. That's all, you know? No, that's not what happened. It was, so, yeah, that was like the first time. I mean, they tried it the previous year with Triple H, but then they, you know, did the whole trade stuff. So Triple H yeah. wound up back on Raw. But this they was... traded like eight guys for Triple H. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and like future yeah. considerations. Yeah. And cash. <laughs> and wrestler, <laughs> like, wrestler to be named later. <laughs> <laughs> and, and an OVW talent. Yeah. All went to SmackDown for Triple H. <laughs> the yeah. Minor league. But I, I loved this, by the way. In 2005, I it did. was relatively new. Uh, we didn't see that th- this happened in the brand extension. So I didn't know like they were just going to do like a swap for swap. Because once Cena came over, I was like, what? That makes like That's weird. Um, cause that same night, it wasn't like Batista went over to SmackDown, you know? So I was like, oh, I guess they're, I wonder how this is going to work out. So I was actually, this is like the last time I was really like, even though I had the internet and I was like on message boards, I was kind of like, I wonder what they're going to do. I was more interested than not. I'll give it that. It was just Vince wanted John Cena on Raw. Yeah. And I mean, you know, that means Batista had to go to SmackDown. So how do we do that without saying... Hey, champions are available in the draft, which they typically weren't, right? I don't think they were by this point. Um, so I how can we do that? Yeah. You know, of course, you know, lottery, luck of the draw, so whatever. But so, as you mentioned, John Cena was the first pick in the draft. He shows up on Raw really for the first time, and I don't know if he was ever really on Raw because this is, you know, we're three years into the brand extension. And for the most part, Cena was a SmackDown talent. Yeah. He had pretty much rose to the top of the business on SmackDown. That was his home. And he was the, the, the guy. It was him, like Eddie Guerrero, and they were like the two top guys on SmackDown for a couple years. And then when he shows up on Raw, I was like, whoa, okay. And until this point, the WWE Championship was only on SmackDown. When the brand extension started, the WWE Championship was always on SmackDown. They didn't switch champions yet. Like they do nowadays. They pretty much switch it every year almost. You know, one champ goes to Raw, another champ goes to SmackDown, and whenever the Universal title switches shows, they change the color of the strap to match the show now. Um, but back then, this was the first time that had happened, and the world title is always on Raw. So now you got WWE Champion on Raw, and like you said, they didn't move Batista right away, but you knew what was going to happen. <laughs> SmackDown was just not going to go without a champion. Batista was going to go to SmackDown at some point, but they didn't do it just yet because he had some unfinished business with Triple H that had to be buttoned up on this here show. But again, when Cena got to Raw, it was a big deal. I mean, Cena was becoming the guy, and he was, like I said, it's him or Batista, either one. And I think maybe this was an indication that Cena was the guy because he was on the flagship show that was live as the champion. Uh, and like I said, he was the hottest thing on SmackDown for a couple years, and guys back then, 
didn't change shows willy-nilly like they do now. Uh, I mean, they had drafts and whatnot, but it just feels different nowadays, nowadays than it did back then. Because, again, a guy like John Cena was on SmackDown from 02 to 05. That's three years. I mean, come on. Yeah. AJ Styles is a face that runs the place on season. He's a, he's a guy who built SmackDown, but he's been on Raw for like two years. Like, <laughs> when was the last time he was on SmackDown? Yeah. I mean, he, I think he was on SmackDown last year, but he's been on Raw. He had a run on Raw, then he went back to SmackDown, and he can't, now he's back on Raw. So it's just different nowadays. Yeah, um, it's very different. And especially with Raw three hours, it's it's not, it doesn't have the unique feel it did, you know, the first no. time around that I was hoping for, but. You know, it just isn't there. No, I knew it wasn't going to happen. I told y'all back in 2016, yeah, it's not yeah, going to be yeah. like it, it's not going to be what we all think it's going to be. The WWE is going to forget about this and do whatever they want willy nilly in due time, and they did. And they was having got remember remember the wild card rule when the guy could just show up on the other <laughs> yeah. show randomly. Yeah. Oh my God, <laughs> just just say you're lazy, WWE. Just say that. <laughs> God. So we get the pyro, and we get our first look at the set, which Chris Johnson mentioned in his uh, cameo on the show. Uh, I agree that it didn't. It wasn't a great set. It fit Las Vegas, but it yeah. didn't really fit Vengeance or the Hell in the Cell match in the yeah. main event. So it was just like this is kind of odd. It, it was very odd. Uh, I didn't notice really. I guess in 2005, this is one of my favorite pay-per-views of that era. And I think maybe they did this whole draft lottery just so they can get like a big pay-per-view in June. You know, when he had Cena and Batista on the same pay-per-view, uh, it was a big deal. And uh, yeah, I mean, like other than that, the entrance I didn't really pay attention to until I watched it for this podcast. And I didn't re- even recognize the Vegas theme. Like I was just was not paying attention to it. Uh, they had the like, the regular raw stage. So I guess that's probably why I was just like, eh, I'm not interested. They have a regular raw stage, whatever. They didn't really go out all out for, you know, pay-per-view entrances at that point anymore. It's just kind of like, eh, whatever. And, but I did kind of like the Vegas theme in a way, even though, like you said, it didn't fit a vengeance or a hell in a cell theme, but hey, they were in Vegas and they played it up a little bit. And I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. I didn't recognize that at first. So, I like how they had the two cards on the, the top right, and it would feature like the people of the match. I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah, it was all right. It was all right. We got a three-man <laughs> booth on the call. We got Jim Ross, Jerry Lawler, and favorite. Jonathan Coachman. Your favorite. Not at all. And I could definitely <laughs> do it without Coach. Even though I, I don't necessarily <laughs> dislike Coach, it's just they try to make him a, another heel. They, like they already had a heel in Jerry Lawler. Like you could have had maybe one as a babyface, one as a heel, and Jim Ross be neutral. Instead, they had two heels, and it was just annoying. Uh, but before we dig into the matches, I got to ask you my question, Nick. Mm. Where were you in life in June of two thousand five? June two thousand five. This was probably before. Or in the middle of like looking for a job, I guess. <laughs> you know, in the summer, looking uh, still in college. So it was the first year I really like. My parents were pushing me to get a job. They didn't like having me and my sister. Like me and my sister worked like in the summer or whatever, and I had a job my junior year of school. But if it affected our schoolwork, they would be like, "All right, well, just wait till you like you graduate and then get a job." That type of thing, because uh, you know grades came first and school came first, and. 
So I think at this point I had already finished my fourth semester. One, two, three, four. Yeah, finished my fourth semester of college. So I'm ready, I guess, to go get a job, for, at least for the summer. And obviously watching these, I ordered one night stand two weeks before this, and I ordered this one. And I, you know, at least the allowance my mom was giving me, I was giving it back <laughs> just for these pay-per-views <laughs> so I could tape them and, you know, record them and everything because I wasn't, uh, I guess I didn't have a big income yet because uh, if I was working, I was a temp, so I wasn't making a lot and I wasn't making it like right away. Um, but I was really like loving wrestling at this point. It was like one of my favorite eras because the Cena Batista stuff, like looking back, I didn't realize like they were building these two stars. You know, I realized that after the fact, but I was kind of like, uh, oh, someone new, you know, and I was, I would have put a hundred bucks if betting was, I mean, it was legal in Vegas, but I would have put a hundred bucks on Triple H winning that match, uh, just based, even though he didn't do it the previous year when it was like him and Chris Benoit, and Benoit beat him, you know, like three pay-per-views in a row. And I just, I was like, oh, they're going to do this to Batista. It's like the Triple H reign of terror type thing. So it's kind of like my mindset going in. And other than that, like, yeah, I was just kind of like chilling. You know, I was it was after I graduated high school and, you know, in college, so I wasn't, I wasn't playing sports or anything. I wasn't doing much and just chilling, you know, going to the diner and stuff almost every night, just hanging with my friends. <laughs> I was finishing up my sophomore year of high school oh. in June 2005. Yeah, I was what? I would have been 16. Yeah, I would have been 16 years old. So, yeah, my sophomore year of high school, going into my junior year, I played JV football my sophomore year, and I was getting ready to try out for the varsity team in my junior year. And I made the team eventually. Oh. Well, not eventually. I made the team my junior and senior year. It, wasn't a, it didn't take me long uh, to do it. So, yeah, uh, you know, I was getting ready to play some high school football or some varsity high school football heading into my junior year. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, tight end, defensive back. Uh, problem was kind of not super tall enough to be a, a great tight end, but not really fast enough to be a great DB. So special teams I played. <laughs> like, <laughs> special teams I went. When I was on JV, I was a linebacker with massive shoulder pads. Ooh. I don't know why they gave me these shoulder pads. <laughs> but I was hitting people on, on JV, though. I was knocking people out. I'm not really knocking them out. I wasn't knocking them out, but I was hitting people on JV. Don't, don't get twisted. But... You know, when I went up to varsity, I don't know why they, again, I don't know why they made me a linebacker on JV. I don't know. <laughs> just people just put me in bad spots and giving me massive shoulder pads on JV. Um, but my, when I hit varsity, yeah, tight end, uh, again, because I wasn't really fast enough to be a wide receiver neither. So tight end, I was a pretty good blocker though. Like I'm blocking people. There you go. Like, you know, I wasn't getting by me. Um, and then at defensive back, but again, not super fast to be a good defensive back. But, you know, that's how life was. I was hey, man, trying my best. You were on the team. I barely, I was a bench warmer by varsity uh, year in baseball. So, they I mean, went, I didn't say with, I played a lot. Well, they went, they went <laughs> like, with the youth movement <laughs> my senior year, of course. Oh, so. that's wild. No, yeah. I, I didn't play a whole lot. My junior year, the team was very senior heavy. 
and we were stacked too. Like we were really good. Probably we should have won the public championship. Still, one, probably my worst sports memory is losing the public championship game in Philly in 2005 oh, no. to Frankfurt High School. Yeah, my bad. Cranley the Sabres got the first pick in the NHL draft. Good for them. Really? Uh, but, <laughs> but uh. yeah, we, we were better than Frankfurt. I still say that to this day. We were better than Frankfurt. Uh, but they got us in that day somehow. We missed a field goal at the end of the game. That would have won it. And I cried my eyes out. And this is how I ended 2005, I should say. <laughs> I was crying my eyes out mm. at the end of the public championship. I still, I've never worn my silver medal from the public championship game till this day. I've never put it around my neck. I put it like in my pocket and I gave it to my mom. She hung it up on the mantle, but I've never put it around my neck ever. That's how bad it affected me. The trauma is still there. So I can't go on, man. <laughs> pretty much, bro. But see, my senior year, I, w- I would play my junior year when we were up by like 40 points and we were killing teams, which, was, which happened a lot, fortunately. Uh, we were winning a lot of games. That's why we got to the public league championship. Uh, but yeah, I would play in those games. But my senior year, I started playing a lot more, and especially on special teams. So the thing that, that sucks. That. The thing that sucked my senior year is I played on senior day. Yay! But uh, they also switched my position because I've been a third baseman. I gave up catching, uh, so I was like, you know, a third baseman. They switched me to second base, and then I was trying to like turn double plays i just could not get the rhythm down like it was so bad and they were mm. they were like so angry with me and i'm like listen i'm trying i'm trying to do I'm what not y'all a want basement. i'm trying to do what y'all want but uh yeah it was it was a bad a bad time but i you know went to practice every day and our last practice of the year i was covered head to toe in dirt you know it was like a little muddy out there a little rainy i was sitting there diving for balls and everything and <laughs> had like dirt all over my chin and stuff yeah it was it was a good time even though I didn't get to play a lot, I still had a lot of fun uh, being out there and at least being part of that team mentality and trying to you know lift others up that were going to be there after I was gone, and that was kind of my role that year. So there you go. My, uh, well, I got team my players. unsung unsung hero award. So there you go. At least people we noticed. Team players. At least people noticed. Right. That's why we're doing podcasts because we weren't tremendous athletes when we were teenagers. <laughs> Doing podcasts about wrestling. But speaking of tremendous athletes, let's start off with the first match of Avengers 2005. It's for the WWE Intercontinental Championship. We got a tremendous athlete, Shelton Benjamin, challenging Cardolito for the title. I had no recollection that Shelton Benjamin held the Intercontinental Championship for eight months in a day. But that's what Jim Ross said on this show. I knew he had the title. I didn't know he had it for eight months. Maybe WWE just forgot about him. That's the reason why he had it for eight months, which is not outside the realm of possibility. Um, but Benjamin, only lo- he had the title until the week prior on Raw when Carlito debuted on Raw via the draft lottery and beat Benjamin in his first match on Raw to win the championship. Uh, JR said before the match that Carlito was one of only 18 men to hold both the Intercontinental and U.S. titles. And I was like, man, I wonder how long that list is now. You know, here we are, 2021. I wonder how many people can say that. And I started digging, doing some digging. I was like, oh, a lot, a lot of people can say that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, granted, it's been 16 years since the show. So I was like, yeah, that makes sense. I'm like, like, I mean, 
you look at WWE's roster and you look at the majority of the people in that roster, it's like, oh, okay, he he's did it, he did it, he did it, he did it. He like so Ziggler, Miz, Seth Rollins, I think Kevin Owens. I mean, it's Bobby Lashley. It's, it's a ton of people. Like pretty they're, much. They're doing so. the freaking hack of Simmons again in the first freaking half. In the first half. Look, don't bring it up. Three minutes left wanna... of the second quarter, and they're doing Hackett Simmons. Oh, I might need to turn it off. Don't bring it up. I might need don't to turn it, it off. Yeah, turn it off. We got a show to do. <laughs> don't be distracted. All right? God. In the first half. But Carlito, by the way, was drafted <sighs> to Raw six days before this and won the I title. I said that. Oh. <laughs> I was watching Ben Simmons shoot free throws. <laughs> I said that he just won the title from Benjamin. Benjamin lost the title to Carlito on his debut on Raw. Uh, but how about that? He, him and John Cena were drafted the same night. <laughs> Go figure. Or wait, was it the same Go night? Go figure. I would assume. So. I think so. Maybe. Maybe not. Mm. I don't know. It was. It was Who cares? Weird. <laughs> Who cares? Right? <laughs> Who gives a damn? Right. <laughs> I'm gonna tell you somebody who I do give a damn about, and that is Shelton Benjamin. <laughs> Let's give Shelton Benjamin his flowers because what? even though WWE didn't know what to do with him really back then, and they still really don't know what to do with him now, doesn't take away from the fact that he is a freak athlete. Who I think, I mean, if he was in the territories or something like that, he would have been a, a huge star. But instead, he got into the clutches of Vince McMahon. Who didn't know what to do with this guy, despite the fact that he's probably the best athlete that's ever been in WWE. Not sure why WWE hasn't found a consistent way to feature him. Not sure why they took him away from Bobby Lashley and MVP like him. That the Hurt Business was a thing that was working. And they gave Shelton Benjamin and Cedric Alexander things to do. They gave him featured roles. They were helping, you know, Lashley. We didn't really help him Lashley win matches, but they were associated with Lashley with raise their profile. And then just like, nope, we're done with that. It's just inexplicable. But despite that, Shelton Benjamin, dope wrestler. Uh, you saw some of that on this night, how just how tremendous he was as an athlete. Uh, legit badass, like help train, help coach Brock Lesnar in college. Like, let's just tell you something about Brock Lesnar, about Shelton Benjamin. Uh, <laughs> that he helped get him better when they both went to University of Minnesota as collegiate wrestlers. So uh yeah og from, from you know from way back shelton benjamin still doing great great stuff in the ring uh so yeah let's give shelton benjamin some flowers uh why he's alive to smell them he deserves them because wwe ain't giving it to him besides i guess a paycheck every week or every two weeks but yeah um, yeah you know i guess it's a good thing he hasn't been involved in the latest cuts um as of now you know knock on wood but uh for him you know, making that money, <laughs> like good for him. Right, he gets paid. Um, He's getting paid. I, I I gotta say, I loved the world's greatest tag team run, and I was kind of like mad when they split them up. But you know, when Shelton went to Raw, you know, it was it was great. Like he even had a match against Triple H and beat Triple H. He had that little thing with him, and I was like, oh, that that'll be good to like raise his profile a little bit. Um, it didn't do enough, uh, but that was around the time I don't think Triple H necessarily buried him. I just think it was like Triple H was the biggest name on the roster. Like, of course, he had to get his heat back type thing. But it's just WWE never capitalized on Shelton Benjamin after that. Um, really? And that has everything to do with 
or a lot to do with when people say, oh, Triple H never elevated anybody. But, you know, that's he, also tried. WWE's booking fault. You know, right. it's, it's booking as well. You know, he, he doesn't yeah. sit there and say, no, that guy can't do it. Like, not, that's just not how it works. You know, Vince gets final say. He might listen to Triple H more than others, but he's going to do what he wants to do. Um, I just don't think that at this point, I, I was like a big shot guy. This was just like weeks after his Raw match with Shawn Michaels that we still remember today. So, um, you know, that big super kick spot. But, uh, yep. you know, I just don't think they they never capitalized on some of the great stuff he did. And then he would do like the same stuff in the Royal Rumble or Money in the Bank. He would always like come off the ropes yeah. and on the ladder. They It was like, okay, is he just a showman? Like, come on, he could Pretty do much. stuff too. Like, but. but then their way of like trying to, I guess, flesh out his character or give him some, uh, what, am I, what time the word I'm looking for escapes me, but uh, just the way they try to like, I guess expand his horizons as a, as a character, open him up a little bit was to like give him his mom, you know, the, yeah. give him the old trope of the old black woman, fat black woman trope of you know uh, his mom on TV. Who this woman was a good actress. So I'm not gonna knock her. It's just, then they made him the gold standard and dyed his hair blonde and all <laughs> that. It's like what the hell, man? They put him in silly ass situations left and right, and then wonder why nobody he didn't get over. I'm like because he. Make him who he is, which is a great collegiate wrestler who's a tremendous athlete. That's all we really need to know about him. We don't need no expansion on who he is. <laughs> Tell Benjamin, damn it. Um, he got booed during this match. That's yeah, I did completely I don't understand that at all. booking, like they're telling the do stuff that's clearly not working. <laughs> You know, like they do with all the talent. I, mean, I don't know how different it exactly was 16 years ago than it is now. I'm sure it was a little different, but at the same time, someone like Shelton Benjamin getting booed in Las Vegas. Yeah, like that's WWE's fault. Against Carlito. Like, come on. Right. Carlito, I didn't know Carlito was like this heel that people wanted to cheer for. I don't remember that. It maybe I was too young and I wasn't on the internet. <laughs> you know, maybe I wasn't on the internet as much back then, but it was like, was he the heel that people were like the marks? Wanted to cheer for like, cause they were doing Carlito chants. And it, look, granted, Carlito's character was dope. I like Carlito. Um, and I thought he was really talented. Just spitting apples in people's faces. That was trifling. <laughs> like in hindsight, like you know, it's even more so now that we, you look back in hindsight and we're in a pandemic and you look at spitting somebody's face on a weekly basis. Yeah. That's nasty. <laughs> but I didn't understand that. Just booing Shelton like as if Shelton wasn't like good at what he did. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like he was great. So, yeah, you might not like the booking, but it's not his fault. He was tremendous. And he was long gone by a world's greatest tag team, which were always heels. So he was he had been a face since then. Like, he came into Raw yeah. wrestling Triple H. Like, he was a baby face for that entire year plus. I think he really went heel when they introduced his mom and did the gold standard stuff. That was, like, his next heel persona. But Yeah, that stuff was all weird, though. I didn't like it. Uh, this match was pretty good, though. Uh, it ended with Benjamin going for a stinger splash, but he hit his head on the exposed turnbuckle. Uh, <laughs> said turnbuckle was exposed by Carlito, obviously exposed, even though the referee didn't stop it. But he was just untying away, you know, for the entire time. But uh, but yep, Carlito retains the title after, like I said, a pretty good match. It was pretty good. Um, I don't know if you had any other notes on this. 
besides that? Uh, it, it's interesting they went with the concussion angle again when he wiped out uh, on Raw. They kind of went with that story. Carlito didn't catch him uh, when he flew to the outside, so that they showed a replay of that. And then I guess after he hit the turnbuckle, they he was like, "Oh, he's woozy. Let's have a concussion." They just did this in January with the Randy Orton Triple H Royal Rumble match with Orton getting con- a concussion. So I don't know why. I- in this time frame, it was a, a big time for like concussion angles and stuff. Um, I know it was probably in the news, but in 2005, I don't think it was really at the forefront as it was. No, you know, it was years later, obviously. So these angles were just kind of weird for me. I, I didn't know. Uh, like to me, in 2005, a concussion was no big deal. Obviously, you know, I, I suffered one, and I was like, okay, like it, it was bad. But we're told, like, concussions aren't as serious as, you know, they are. And now that we know better, thank God, uh, we're handling them the way they should be handled, more, more or less, uh, nowadays. But back then, I always, I didn't understand the concussion angle. I was like, okay, like, he's concussed. And that, like, why why is that a big deal? <laughs> so and it was part of me not, not being uh, really well-versed in, in that, but it's also like they did a pretty crappy job explaining stuff You like notice that. now that since the concussions and the, and the effects of concussions have come or way more widely known, WWE doesn't do concussion angles yeah, nowadays. How about that? You know, people get concussions by, on accident, not right. by storyline. Right, and they don't... You know what I'm saying? Yeah, they don't, like, dig into it. <laughs> Someone suffers a concussion they don't really talk about it or they just say right. it's they, not part of the story concussion and they're out exactly that's they're yeah, that's a good way to put it yep yeah so after this match we get triple h making his way into the arena uh i believe chris johnson said that he walked in looking like brother love which is 100 percent accurate because <laughs> yeah. he, he did this suit was very 2005 straight out of the steve harvey collection um <laughs> 2000s, early 2000s, I think the entire decade of the, like the aughts, 2000, 2010, very bizarre time in fashion. Like, <laughs> I don't know if any trends from that decade will come back. But I say that Air Forces came back, and that was a big thing in the early 2000s. And throwbacks are always kind of a thing, but like, throwbacks aren't something you wear to the club anymore. <laughs> like, with 2002, you could wear a do rag and have a uh, you know, a, a Adrian Dantley Denver Nuggets throwback with a white T-shirt under, and you was the man. <laughs> like, uh, look at John Cena as an example. John yeah. Cena wore the throwbacks to you know, and that was a thing. Like, you know, that was the style when he got drafted to Raw. He had the uh yeah. Saint, the Spirit of St. Louis throwback. You know, so it's just it's just a different time. But the, the the stuff that people wore, I said Adrian Dantley, Denver Nuggets. He didn't play for the Nuggets. I'm stupid. Either way, <laughs> so I don't think he played for the Nuggets. Either way, that's all right. I don't know who that is, so you're good. Don't worry. Yeah, people, somebody out there does know, <laughs> and they're like, "What are you talking about, bro? Do you watch basketball?" <laughs> it's gonna be someone about? from like the UK, like messaging us, like seriously. Maybe. <laughs> Us a don't one, hold it against me, folks. Give us a one rating on iTunes. Yeah, don't, don't hold. Alex English is who I was thinking about. 
I think it was Alex English, right? That's a good name. Not Adrian Danley, though. Mm. Just, that just came up out of nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm pretty sure it's Alex English. Let me. I, now I gotta know. I gotta know. Yes, Alex English. Okay. There you go. <laughs> Mad at myself for not knowing. But no. Point is, you could wear an Alex English Denver, Denver Nuggets throwback, white T-shirt, white do rag. A hat with like fourteen different NBA teams on it. The whole Eastern, whole Western Conference, I guess, since you got a Nuggets jersey on, and you was fly, <laughs> like, and that was like the early two thousands. And then you got the, the, the baggy suits. You see people wearing these ill-fitting suits and different colors. The Triple H had the red shirt on. Like, oh god, that's ugly. Two thousand five, and like I said, the two thousands. I like I don't know. If there's like I said, there's any fashion trend besides maybe Air Forces. That will that that existed in that decade that will come back. Like every other decade, you can look at it and be like, okay, this trend came back. Like people were wearing bell bottoms again. You know, certain sneakers always come back. Certain styles, maybe like certain like the way people wear clothes, like the fits. You know, people wearing you know they're not wearing baggy clothes anymore. Back in the two thousands, though, four X tall tees, bro. Like that was the thing. If your shirt was less than three X, your shirt was small. <laughs> like I don't see that coming back. You know what I'm saying? I don't see uh, Dickie suits coming back. Like, where we with Dickies, at least here in Philly. You know, I just don't see it coming back. It's just an eye time in fashion. And Triple H, on this night, he looked, he thought he was sharp as a tack. But look back 16 years later, boy, he was not. <laughs> Sorry, Triple H. He was not sharp at all. And, and the facial hair. On this guy, what the hell was he doing with that? That was great. That was the Harley Race stash. That was a great Triple H era facial hair. Harley Race wore that in the seventies, bro. Yeah, man, it was great. He did. He that. was not Harley Race. Hey, he worked. I know like he him. tried to be Harley Race. He, tried, he tried really hard. He had the knee drop. He had the knee, mm-hmm. the knee buster, the knee lift thing. You were not Harley Race fan. Get Harley Hurst Helmsley. I guess. Rest the piece of Harley Race, though. He was dope. Did I tell you about the time? I wrote a story about Harley Race, and like there's a story about him uh, in a book or something like that. And I remember, I think I aggregated the story or something like that. And I think one of his ex wives called me. It's like, hey, do you have you talked to him or something like that? I forget what it was. I was <laughs> like, I have not. Yeah, it was wild. <laughs> I'm working at Philly.com, bro. <laughs> Somebody who dealt with Harley back in the day called me. I was like, hey, you know, I just saw you wrote the story or whatever. I was like. Yeah, yeah, it's not my. No, I didn't write the book though. Like, I don't know the author. I want to. I think it was a David Shoemaker book or something like that that came out, and I put an excerpt of a, of a story that came out, you know, in, in the story in the article, and I put it up, you know, something like that. I think it was about like maybe Harley having a gun um, <laughs> at one of the shows when like WWF ran an NWA town, and apparently he went to like. I think Harley had went to the WWF show and went backstage and like threatened to shoot Hulk Hogan or something like that. Something wild like that. <laughs> and I guess his wife at that point called me up. I don't know. It was it was a weird I'm pretty sure that's what that that was what that was about. But uh Huh. She calls you up. Yeah. I, I've been like mind y'all business. <laughs> Look, that was her husband or something like that. Well, ex husband, so it doesn't matter. Ex husband. <laughs> Something like that, bro. It was I forget exactly That's what wild. it was, but it was wild. That's wild. <laughs> wild. So yeah. Rest in peace to Harley Race. But moving on. Second match of the night. Christy Hemi versus Victoria. This was when WWE was 
all in on divas and a diva mm. search and bikini models, not wrestlers, but bikini models. Victoria was a wrestler. Christy Hemme, a model. She looked very attractive. Wrestling, eh. Promos, oh, God, she was terrible. Like, that promo, <laughs> she cut yeah. on Raw. She was like, I, I just get angry when I see, when I think about Victoria. Woo, that was terrible. <laughs> that was awful. And I don't know. I mean, Christy Hemme, I mean, look, she's not an actress, I guess. She wasn't. And that verbiage was bad. I'm sure WWE wrote that for, promo for her, but man, that was just terrible. Bless her heart, she tried. <laughs> like, <laughs> she did. She did. She really tried. Uh, but I guess you know WWE. They're trying to get Chrissy Hemme some experience in the ring. A good person to put her in the ring with was Victoria. Victoria was dope. You know, still is dope, but she's a good wrestler. Um. I wrote that, you know, I forgot Victoria had a rap song for theme music at this point, which I liked, honestly. Did not like Hemi's theme music, though. Her music was trash. But, um... I did not pay attention to their themes. I did. How about that? Um, that's really the only note I had about this match. <laughs> <laughs> it was a match. I think that's what Chris said, too. It was a match. It was. It wasn't necessarily bad. It just was what it was. Uh... It's a second straight match that had a heel cheating to win. I noticed that. Carlito used the tights technically to beat Shelton Benjamin. And Victoria used the ropes. And that's it. Yay for originality. Yep. Two straight matches start the show with the same finish. Good job. Uh, Moving on from that, we got John Cena backstage being interviewed by Todd Pissum. I mean Grisham. In the 10th grade, I had an How accident is that? in biology class. I peed myself. It was embarrassing, and everybody called me Todd Pissum. Thanks. Thanks for bringing it up, man. <laughs> My favorite part of that is him saying thanks for bringing it up, but, like, Cena didn't say anything. He just kind of brought it up himself. He didn't say anything. That's the best part. He didn't say anything. They wrote that for Todd Grisham. <laughs> Todd Grisham is like a normal broadcaster, <laughs> and they wrote him to call himself Todd Pissum. That was great. I, I'm pretty it. sure this is not what Todd Grisham had in mind when he was in like broadcast school. Like, I'm gonna be like on ABC. I'm gonna call the Olympics. You know, I'm gonna do. <laughs> I'm gonna call Super Bowls. Instead, he was on pay per view, calling himself Todd Pissum. Somebody in WWE thought that was hilarious, bro. <laughs> I liked it. It was come on, man. I liked it. I, I like Todd Grisham. This is probably why I, I, I'm not really trying to go back to watch 2005 WWE because it was still trying to be like, like attitude type stuff. Even though it wasn't the attitude there, but it was just bad <laughs> jokes and no, man, no. John Cena cut a promo, a pretty good promo. I mean, the way he delivered it, I thought was good. Um. He talked about being a new kid, and Jericho was the the punk, the, the, the rocker guy, and Christian, I forget what he called Christian, but he kind of just related to some type of high school tropes or whatever, you know, and uh, on top of, forget, on top of Christian calling himself Todd Pissum, he also was wearing a terrible fit with the collar sticking out of the, the jacket, and this is where I wrote, yeah, 2000s. 
not a good time for fashion, bro. What was he wearing with that shirt, with the collars, and ooh, I didn't but, notice. I did not notice. I noticed, bro. I noticed this right away. It was rough <laughs> to look at. It was rough. <laughs> but Cena, the funny thing, Cena didn't even like really bring that part. Like he didn't like mock Todd Grisham for being Todd Pissum. He just kind of like, all right, whatever. <laughs> He did that whole like it's okay, man, and then looked at the camera with like that face, like oh my goodness, <laughs> which was you know that was that's fine. an appropriate reaction. You know that was fine. So it was before they had him try way too hard. Yeah, I mean the material wasn't great, no. but his delivery was fine, yeah. and that counts for something. Yeah, right. Yeah, besides Ultimate Warrior, his this delivery was out off the top, over the top, but nobody knew what the hell he was talking about. He didn't know what the hell he was talking about. You know, uh. and it's still funny to hear Cena doing like the kind of the rap, kind of like hip hop hood gimmick. He's like, "Yo, yo, yo, what you talking about here? You the new? I'm the new kid in town, y'all." All right, <laughs> all right, hey, Donnie we- Wahlberg. <laughs> I, was just gonna say that. I was like, "Did Donnie show up? Like, what's going on?" Here? <laughs> <laughs> he was a little more. Uh, sounded a little more tough than Donnie Wahlberg did at WrestleMania 10. He tried to be a little more like edgy, so to speak. No pun intended for our next match. But yeah, that was that was that was an odd time because it's like we've heard, man, over ten years of Cena being like talking like his normal voice, I guess, or that over the top cheesy WWE eyes voice that they get, you know, they made him talk like because yeah. he's supposed to be the all American good guy. <laughs> but now you hear him do interviews; he talks like a normal person, like. No more white person, so to speak, right? <laughs> oh, no more rich white person would talk like. That's what John Cena talks like now. But back in the early 2000s, 2003 to 2006, pretty much. Yeah, I guess six, maybe, when he stopped doing the whole hood hip-hoppy thing. Maybe seven. Probably. Uh, he was talking like this. Yeah. What was it? Uh, really his feud with Angle, I think. It's almost maybe that was maybe the last right. time he did it, or like maybe that was around when it just kind of left. It was right after. Yeah, I don't remember him talking like that in 07, 08. Maybe even 06. Like I don't, I don't remember it lasting too much longer. Yeah, because once he went from Angle to Edge, time. you know, it wasn't any of that. It was like serious Cena, and you know there was no <laughs> no no time for that. You know, no time for serious Cena rap, making faces rap, in the stuff, camera, no rhyming or anything like that. So, right. Right. Even though he still had the spinner belt, though. Still yeah. had the spinner belt. Yeah. Which made his debut after WrestleMania earlier in 2005. Which, at the time, I didn't hate. I liked the spinner belt when I was a kid. Um, but I was a kid. And that was, like, cool for 2005. That was, like, the most hip thing WWE was doing was, like, the spinner design. Because yeah. back in, for those who don't know, again, another odd design, odd fashion choice. People used to wear, you know, you see people with chains on now. They're not too long, too crazy. But in the 2000s, boy, them things hang down to your belt buckle. <laughs> right? Your chain had to hang low. There's a whole song about it. Can your ha- chain hang low? It had to hang down to your knees, damn near, like your shirt. And another, and it, people up the ante, or the, the chain, the, 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 I guess the medallion, would spin. Right? And it was like, whoa. Like, spinning rims? His chain spin too, and then Cena would come out literally with a spinning chain for a little bit, and then he won the title, 
he oh, wait, wait before that even he had to spin a U.S. title. The whole title spun. Yep. Right, and that was like whoa, look at that. And then he changed the WWE title and made that spin. And that was in like that was popular. That was like mainstream culture in 2005. <laughs> as bizarre as it looks today, but. But the belt itself, it was just very gaudy in hindsight, very gaudy looking and very over the top looking. And they had it around for, damn, till so 2013. Long. But the funny thing is, I hated it at first, and I hated the U.S. title too. I was just like, ah, I don't want, you know, my wrestling titles, god darn it, uh, to be, you know, props like that. And uh, the U.S. title never grew on me, but the Spinner WWE title did grow on me. Uh, well after Cena held it, you know, so like when Edge had I, it, I and agree. Then, and then CM Punk had it. That would have been the time to like, obviously change it. But uh, in that I, time, it was frame, time to change it, it once me. Cena got hurt or Cena dropped it. Like yeah. it was so long between, like I said, CM Punk had it, Triple H had it, Edge had yeah. it. Like there's so many people that had that belt that had no business being on. Yeah, but they had it. <laughs> Yeah, and what, you know, once they stopped the spin, I was just like, ah, you know what? I I like it looks gold. Like I like gold, obviously, with the title belts, and you know, I was like, I guess that's just how it's gonna be, and it kind of grew on me. It wasn't uh, like I wasn't all uber critis- critical of it as I was in this time frame. The Miz had that belt. Randy yeah, Orton had that right. belt. Sheamus had that. Like, come on, yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. terrible. Technically, The Rock had that belt, right? <laughs> he did for a night, yeah. and he was like, "Nope, give me a new one." <laughs> I'm not walking around with that. You want me Which to go put one in America with your he, belt? He was give just going to drop it back to Cena, so he figured it would. Uh, I was like, okay, they're just going to keep it, but then they changed it. So maybe they were trying to make you think, "Oh, Cena's not going to win because they changed the title." <laughs> mm-mm, mm-mm. This is a permanent change. And it's been, they changed it again in 2014 when they got the new logo, mm-hmm. new WWE logo. And it's been that way since 2014. So it's now seven years of this belt. So this belt is going on almost as long as the spinner belt has. Man. This design of the belt, I should say. Because now it's like the design for a lot of belts. So it's not like. Yeah, and I, I don't unique. see it changing anytime soon. Because how I do you change either. that one? <laughs> you know, unless you change know. the logo. It's the WWE logo, right? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, the diamonds and stuff. It's like you can't. I guess that. they could. I guess they they changed the U.S. title for the, I think for the better. Uh, I like the new U.S. title actually much more than the the old one. The IC title I like it. I just don't like it better than the former design. Mm. I, don't, I don't know. Hopefully they change some tag titles sometime soon. I know they put yeah, on. Yeah. I think they put on WWE Shop recently the old like the classic World Tag Team titles. Hopefully they're making a comeback soon. Hopefully people hmm. are buying them things up, hmm. and people in WWE goes hmm. Maybe we should bring these back. Maybe people buy them even more. More even more people will buy them because it's a beautiful belt. I'll buy it. Shit, I don't, I don't care. <laughs> I'll buy it. I had the foam one, the foam tag team title. No, I'm gonna buy me. Like for, I'm gonna buy one for me. Five years ago, buy one for me and Gabby. Me and Gabby <laughs> gonna be tag team champions. Damn it. Nice. How about it? Maybe so. the first intergender tag team champions. Let's rock out. Let's make yeah. history. Yeah. Let's make history. Moving on. To a grudge match, personal feud between Kane and Edge. Hmm. If you don't remember, Kane and Lita were married in storyline. Because, yep. And at one point, wasn't Lita pregnant with his child? Yeah. In storyline? Yeah, and I, 
I don't think it was by choice the way they alluded to. Oh, God. That is yeah. rough. I forgot yeah. about that. Yeah, a lot of euphemisms in that era that would lead, would lead you to believe. Uh, yeah. 2005, too, which is kind of crazy. Like, no, after a bad, look, the attitude error. This isn't the attitude error. <laughs> Society was is a different society to 16 years ago, bro. That was, that could fly on TV back then. If you did something like that today, woo! Especially now, we got states, uh, about, pretty much about to ban abortions, which is just wild. Um, yeah, all hell will break loose. Yeah. So yeah, WWE not doing that no more. But I didn't. Wasn't that the time when Gene Snitsky punted the baby? Yeah. <laughs> Which was look, look. That was Kane's like face turn. Just <laughs> <laughs> just keep punting the baby. It's like wait a second. You gotta you gotta cheer for the guy who had his baby punted. <laughs> Which look, that's ridiculous too, and that probably wouldn't fly today. But man, I'm not gonna lie, that was funny as hell. <laughs> he punted that baby so high. But, but the funniest thing was. I thought it was like the lamest thing ever. I was like, this is so stupid. But looking back, <laughs> there's been so much more lame crap that's been out there since that oh point that makes that look like funny. And it's like, so I want to go watch that clip, you know, because it's funny. It's, it's obviously like the baby is fake. So it's, it's a baby doll. So it's just, <laughs> yeah, it's not like it's played as <laughs> a commentator sell it like. <gasps> Right, but it's not like Gene Snitsky. I like <laughs> he's making the baby sounds, <laughs> and he punted that baby into the stands. Who thought of that? <laughs> That's so dumb. Oh man, that's funny as hell. I'm sorry, um, but so yeah, that crap was going on, and then Edge comes along, and. Stole leader from Kane. Oh no, Kane is heartbroken now. So Edge, not only was he Mr. Studio Girl in reality, he's also Mr. Studio Girl in in, in storyline. Man, Edge is just out here. At the same time. At the same damn time. Mm-hmm. Behind the scenes, still on Matt Hardy's girl. <laughs> on screen, still on Kane's wife. Somebody's wife. Man. But I wrote. <laughs> When Edge and Lita kissed on screen, their kisses was like just so over the top. It was just like, <laughs> just like who they kisses were, like this? Imitating real <laughs> life, like, I guess. They're like, let's pretend I we're guess. at home. <laughs> they just, I think they just exaggerated their kisses. Yeah, I don't think they really kiss like that in reality. Yeah. It was just like, I was just like, oh god, like <laughs> all so sleazy. Like, I shouldn't be watching this. <laughs> you peacock know this is on their streaming service. This is this is graphic. <laughs> If that happened on SmackDown, Teddy Long would come out and say, This is not the way it's going to go down tonight, players. Pretty much. <laughs> You're going one-on-one with the Undertaker for kissing like that. <laughs> this is a... Uh... Nah, I won't play it. I'm sure I'll, I'll okay. find it. I'll find it. Fight for the better. Fight <laughs> for the better. Um... I wrote, you mentioned like Sadisky punting the baby was Kane's baby face turn. That's because he forced Lita to marry him, right? Yeah. Something yeah. like that? Yeah. Why would, we ch- why would we feel bad for this guy? He forced this poor woman to marry him. I know. It, it's such a weird story of how we eventually cheer Kane out of all this. 
and make <laughs> oh, Lita he's heartbroken. Bad, make Lita a bad, like the bad one in this situation. Right. This <laughs> like, poor woman who was held hostage by this one-eyed monster. Remember, Kane had like the glass eye or something like that. Like he wasn't supposed to have like I don't think two working eyes or something like that. <laughs> I don't know. But this monster who brings fire out of the ring post, forces her to marry him. She's held hostage and impregnated, <laughs> possibly against her will. She gets her freedom and her white knight and edge. And he's the bad guy because you stole somebody else's girl. You crazy. It wasn't his to begin with. Exactly. Wild stuff, bro. Exactly. It's wild stuff. Stockhol- Stockholm during- Syndrome. With, uh, before this, Lita was like, like she loved Kane almost. It was very weird because it wasn't, the whole thing wasn't leading to the storyline of her leaving Kane for Edge. It just kind of manifested itself that way. So, you know, Stockholm Syndrome is when, you know, whoever's being abused eventually connects with their abuser. And it felt like that's what they were going for with, like, this Lita Kane thing. And then once the Edge thing happened, they just decided to go with that. So the whole perception of this angle was really off by, like, from the start, really, because this was going on for months. It was just so ridiculous on its face. And reliving it, you know, watching it for this podcast, does not hold up well at all. Rough. Yeah. Rough. Uh, we get into the match, and the fans, who well, apparently there's a bunch of marks in Las Vegas, because oh, yeah. they do all oh, the dirt. They did. <laughs> I remember, so this is when I was first, like, you didn't really see stuff that you knew online pan out on TV. It was more or less like a... Oh, wow. Ben Simmons and Russell Westbrook almost going at it. God, I got to stop watching this. Uh, they're not. I lied. Like, it's it's fine. They're not. They were just jawing at each other. But, uh, yeah, like, knowing things behind the scenes and then you kind of see it play out on TV, you're just kind of... I'm sitting there like, oh, my God. Holy shit. Like, this is crazy. So, like, I was hearing the We Want Matt chance. I was like, whoa, whoa. Right. And, like, will the announcers acknowledge it? You know? They did that, not. That they did not. So, seeing it play out, I was I was very... It was part of my fan experience at the time, in 2005. It kind of made me... This was one of the first times. And I was really... This is my first summer, second summer, that I went out, like, a lot. So, I didn't watch Raw live. You know, I would tape it and then watch it. So, He's out here in these streets. This is, yeah, this is. I, I missed the Raw when Matt Hardy returned and attacked Edge or whatever. So, and I remember like where I was because I wasn't watching it live. And this was before like Twitter, before I was getting like I wasn't getting text messages from anybody watching Raw during the summer. <laughs> you know, like everyone was out just hanging out at a friend's house in the pool or whatever. So, this time frame, you know, I was doing that stuff and. The, the whole Edge Matt thing, I just remember being enamored by it. It was like the biggest deal for me as a fan. Like, I, this was my, like, I loved Batista at the time and I thought it was great. But the thing that interested me the most was Edge, Matt Hardy, Lita. So this match was like right up my alley at the time. Yeah. And like you said, they did the We Want Matt chance, chance in reference to Matt Hardy, who was not in WWE at the time. He was uh-huh. fired. Yeah. Uh, he was fired because he went public with like talk about Lita, how she cheated on him with Edge and everything, and they right. apparently did not like that. So he gets fired, but he did come back a couple weeks later, as you mentioned, 
and attacked Edge. So and kicked out that whole. Everyone thought that was a shoot. I was like, oh my god! Like they wouldn't resign Matt Hardy that quick. That was a shoot. Like he 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 brute security. (laughs) Right. Somehow. Okay. And and is okay. (laughs) People are stupid. Uh, Yep. I was one of them. I was like, oh my goodness. Jeez. He's gonna show up at TNA. (laughs) Oh yeah yeah. Beat up Christian because that was the tag team. That was Edge's tag team partner. <laughs> you knew, <laughs> dude. The, no one TNA. They would absolutely build an angle on that of something that happened in another. Oh, company. I'm sure they would. <laughs> I'm sure they would. Something that happened. Cool happened in WWE. We got to capitalize. <laughs> uh, eventually, and throughout the course of this match, that damn Snisky shows up, as Jr. called him, <laughs> and that damn Snisky. <laughs> Um, <laughs> the fans booed when Kane didn't choke slam Lita. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was like, "Geez, again, yeah. 2005, different maybe, time." In maybe our Lita world. was just a hot heel. Like maybe she was just so good at being a heel. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's wild. Um, but then they cheered. Oh, excuse me. Then they cheered when Kane attempted to pilmanize Lita and her neck. <laughs> Yikes. Hadn't she had neck surgery by this point? I believe so, yeah. I think it was four, or maybe it was before Damn. That. Yeah, maybe it was 03 or 02. <laughs> or 01, or 2000, or 1999, you know. <laughs> Any year. <laughs> Snisky interfered, I should say, two more times before this match was over. The last time, the third time, Edge mistakenly hit him with the Money in the Bank briefcase. The very first Money in the Bank briefcase was just a black thick black Halliburton briefcase at that point. Um, and Kane hit a choke slam for the win. So I guess he got his revenge. He got his vengeance. Oh. See what I did there? Oh, wow. You steal my girl, I beat you up. Like the office. You, If it's not right, I send it back. You steal my wife, I beat you up. So that's what happened here. I got nothing else on this. This was a mess. Yeah, and it, I, it's so funny because everyone's like on board with Edge and Lita, and Kane got the win here. Like, right? Like he he gets the win, but that was kind of it. Like Edge and Lita would skyrocket after this because they were they played it up so well. You know what? Right. Everyone knew in real life. Like it, they just man like man magnified that. You know, a hundred times, and you know I was in it. Like I, I was like, man, this is thinking that this is happening in real life so it i don't know there was just something about it like knowing that they were together in real life knowing it was like a real story and having them play it out on tv and i think they i felt the same way when they did like the rick flair mick foley feud you know they did like a match at SummerSlam or something and i remember feeling the same way like because i knew they you know rick had said things about mick foley in his book and it was just like the same way i felt as a fan i was like oh they're they're relying on real life happenings to really kind of drive them into like this TV and pay-per-view stories with these. And it just, I don't know. It it was more interesting to me than a lot of the stuff that was going on at that time, you know, in 2003, 2004. And I was like into it. I was definitely into it. Stuff based in reality has a tendency to work. Yes. You know, and when so. he didn't have like social media around where, you know, 
Like, I mean, I guess I was there. I don't know if YouTube was big back then. Matt Hardy, I think a lot of his uh, stuff was on YouTube. It existed. But, it existed, but it wasn't yeah, big yet. The yeah, thing it started. Like, no, actually, I think it started in 06. So I don't know if it was around yeah, yet. Yeah, it was like MySpace around. Message boards would be like the way I got all my stuff. So. Right. And then I would think, oh, this person works for the company and they're posting on a message board. So they know. <laughs> I'm so stupid. <laughs> it was great. <laughs> what a time. What a time. But moving on, we got, well, another note about this. and One more note, actually. Both Edge and Kane on a WWE Hall of Fame. Yeah. <laughs> and this and Lita. Middle of the card. And Lita, right. And Jesus. not so much. No. No, not so much. <laughs> but there's a lot of Hall of Famers on this card. I've, I've, I should have mentioned this earlier, but, like, WWE's roster from, like, 02 to, like, to now, at least till this show, stacked. Yeah, because WCW is out of business, ECW is out of business. So you gonna have a card with Kane, Edge, Batista, Lita, uh, Chris Jericho, Christian, um, John Cena, obviously, and you know, and the Triple H. All these guys are in the Hall of either in the Hall of Fame or will be in the Hall of Fame. You know, and, and then in this this next match, two more guys in the Hall of Fame and arguably two of the best of all time: Shawn Michaels versus Kurt Angle. In a rematch of their classic at WrestleMania 21, I didn't know this match happened. I thought I knew the WrestleMania 21 match happened, obviously, but I don't remember watching this one. So I, I thought, oh, I'm watching this for the first time, pretty much. Really? Uh, the thing about I remember about the WrestleMania match is that it was technically an interpromotional match because on this night they're both on Raw, but back at WrestleMania, Shawn Michaels was on Raw, Kurt Angle was on SmackDown. And I was like, hey, remember interpromotional matches? And they used to feel how you, they used to feel like a big deal. Yeah. Back in like 03, mm-hmm. 04, 05. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? Like, I remember when, uh, was it Brock and Goldberg the <laughs> first time around? That was an interpromotional match. Yep. And I was like, oh, this is a big deal. And that match turned out to be garbage. But still, it was like, <laughs> it was a big deal for that time. Yes. And the same goes for Kurt Angle. The next year, it was Kurt Angle and Shawn Michaels. And I was like, whoa. Like, and they're feuding with each other on separate nights. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, and it was it was pretty dope how that would play. And they probably they would usually probably kick it off at the Royal Rumble because that's when both shows cross paths yeah. and stuff like that. So uh, those were fun because mm-hmm. they were special matches you didn't see at all throughout the year. Uh, and then you get it at WrestleMania, so that was pretty dope. Uh, another thing that was pretty dope was Kurt Angle circa two thousand five and two thousand six. To me, this is like I know everybody loves like Kurt Angle for the three eyes. When he first came in in 99, 2000, and he's doing Jimmy Crack Corn, and I don't care, and all that stuff. But I, I got a, I got a soft spot, not really a soft spot, just always loved the intense wrestling machine Kurt Angle from this time period. And it was a fantastic evolution of his character from when he went from this innocent, hunky dory, milk drinking Olympic champion who. He was just super innocent, but yet he was a, a jerk at the same time. But he was also really good in the ring. Till now, I guess he's older and mature, and just like enough with the BS. Yeah. I'm here to whoop people's asses and go home. Another, <laughs> I'm here to do he it, had I, another, and I another, can because I'm Kurt Angle. He added another eye intensity. <laughs> Wasn't that always an eye? No, integrity, intelligence, it? and uh, oh, was it intensity? Oh, I think intensity I was the first eye. I'm gonna have to, <laughs> t- tell me I'm gonna have to edit this out. 
Like, I'm pretty sure intensity was the first eye. I thought intensity, it was. Intensity, integrity, intelligence, probably. Yeah, intensity, integrity, and intelligence. Oh, man. You know what? I'll leave it in. <laughs> I'll leave it in just because <laughs> I, I just don't hide my mistakes. You know, it's, a, it's fair game. So There you go. But yeah, he right. got, he hey, got, you're a stand-up guy he, about he, it. He got more intense, though, in, in this you know character yeah. of his. So that's why I brought that up and thought I was being clever. But nope. Nope. But it's all right. You deserve that. But, yeah. you know, he, he stopped all of the humor and which is all business. And it fit Kurt Angle perfectly. I loved it. He just come out and just yell. And he looked and just look in his eye like he wanted to tear people apart all the time. The problem was that behind the scenes, he was a mess. Like he was had a painkiller addiction. And he was because yeah. he was in so much pain, and that led to him leaving WWE in 2006 for, for TNA. But I just wish that we got a longer run with this Kurt Angle. I wish he was in a better state of mind and a better shape as far as his body because this Kurt Angle was awesome. Like, I love this Kurt Angle. He would just come out, straps already down, <laughs> ready to fight people, <laughs> and he would pull them up before the match. But he would just suplex people all the time. People think the Lesnar's a suplex machine? No. Kurt Angle in 05 and 06, wrestling machine Kurt Angle, he would come out. He didn't even have the long boots anymore. He had the short the, the short wrestling yeah, boots. Yeah. The low top, man. I didn't like that. And the mouthpiece, whew, he was awesome. I didn't like that. You didn't like the mouthpiece? Nah. That or the long, the short you know, wrestling boots. No, I loved it. It made him like a more of a, of a, of a shooter, man. That's what, he, guess, you know, that's what they wear. Yeah. They don't wear long boots in amateur wrestling. Yeah. I thought it was dope. It's a shame that he wasn't, you know, in great shape out of the ring. That might have been, you know, it, I'm thinking like when I he started wearing that stuff, I it's almost like he lost his step and he was relying on those painkillers a lot. And to me, it just wasn't the same Kurt Angle. I don't know. Maybe I mean, you probably have, have a point there. To it. Yeah. You probably have a point there in that he wasn't quite what he had used to be. He honestly should have taken like a, like hella good though. That's the funny right. part. Like how great he is. If he had taken like a year or two off, like not a year or two, but like maybe like eight months off Mm -hmm. and got himself together and got his body right Right. and came back like a year later, maybe, man, he could have been, I mean, uh, man, instead, you know, he he went straight to TNA and I I don't think that did him, he got some great matches out of Kurt, but I don't think personally it did him any favors because he didn't really get off the road. Like, I mean, they didn't have like, they didn't have a bunch of house shows every week like WWE does, but... Um, he didn't get out of the ring for any amount of time, really. Right. He was just picked up right where he left off, and I don't yep. think that did him any favors. But um, I just—I don't know—I just loved this Kurt Angle uh, and this match. I love this match too. I mean, yeah. Angle and Shawn Michaels. I mean, what do you expect? I mean, come on—they're two of the greatest of all time. We were—it's honestly like—it's almost weird to like think that we actually got this match. It feels like this is a match that we would be like, man, what if Kurt Angle and Shawn Michaels went against each other? Like how we do a Kurt Angle and like Bret Hart or something like that, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like, wouldn't that have been dope? Yeah. But we actually got to see twice Kurt Angle and Shawn Michaels wrestle in the ring, including once at WrestleMania. They didn't let us down at WrestleMania. They didn't let us down on this night. Uh, so much to talk about. Kurt Angle's German suplex and Shawn Michaels on the Spanish announce table. <laughs> yeah. That looked crazy. Ugh. Then they did a buckle bomb. Yeah. Which, I don't know how many people were doing buckle bombs at that point. Jim Ross lost his mind when he saw the buckle bomb. He was like, oh my God, I've never seen anything like it. Like, And he probably didn't because it's just 2005 where Shawn Michaels, not Shawn Michaels, Seth Rollins 
Does yeah. a buckle bomb probably in all of his big matches. Kurt Angle busted out one in 2005. <laughs> Which like, I didn't remember. So I didn't remember neither. I'd never like seen funny. Kurt Angle do a buckle bomb. But then we got, you know, Kurt Angle just knocking the hell out of Shawn Michaels during the uh, Michaels is one of Michaels' comeback attempts. And Kurt Angle put his top to that with a just a wicked clothesline. Boom. I was like, damn. Like, like that like a like a like a shoot clothesline. Like it didn't like they were working there. Uh, but eventually the, the refs gets knocked down. I think Mike, I think then the doctors come out to try to help Shawn Michaels at one point. Yeah, and yeah he uh, back body Angle dropped was like, screw that. And, yeah. That's what I was like, oh, did he get legit hurt? Because, you know, there are times when you could tell, like, they're selling and, like, I don't know, me as a wrestling fan, watching it for so long and seeing so much, like, I feel like I can pinpoint, you know, when it's a sell versus, you know, not. And I legit thought, like, maybe he hurt himself and I forgot that he hurt his name. But nope, because you, you have the him, like, shoving the guy away and then the guy curses, you know, they bleep it out. On uh, Peacock, uh, or maybe I forget if it was the network where I watched it, but you know they, you know the guy just seems like like oh crap, and then they when you have like two other guys come to tend to him, I'm like oh it's a sell job. And then you have Ang- Angle obviously come out and do it, but you know that that just added to the match too. You know it adds to the drama, and that's probably why Shawn Michaels in NXT doing what he does he tells he sells people on the drama and make it dramatic it, sometimes to a detriment i mean not everything needs to be so dramatic in wrestling every week but uh here i think it played out really well i agree it was a fantastic match definitely the best match of the night so far uh the finish comes when Kurt Angle goes to the Great top rope for whatever reason finish. And jumps you know off been, and Shawn Michaels. You know what would have been better if he went for the moonsault and shot him with this super kick on off the moonsault? Wouldn't like like how Sheamus hit Matt Riddle at WrestleMania? <laughs> that would have been dope. That would have been crazy. That would have been crazy. Instead, uh, look like Kurt Angle tried to do like a double axe handle or something yeah. like that. Mm-hmm. And Shawn Michaels caught him with the super kick, switch in music, and got the one, two, three. This was the and, era of like those crazy sweet chin musics because he hit the one on Shelton from across the ring, you know, a few weeks prior to this. Yeah, that was wild. Yeah. I mean, like I said, you said earlier, like people still watching that on Twitter to this day. Like mm-hmm. I see that pop up in my timeline a couple times a year. It feels yeah. like like yeah, still a wild finish. Uh, kudos to both of them because <laughs> Shelton yeah. Shel- Benjamin had to get across the ring. Yeah, to get kicked in the face. <laughs> so, um. But the one thing I th- thought really helped this match too was Jim Ross calling the match, calling the moves. Like when the drama picks up, at least back then, you know, today, I know some people again rag on Jim Ross. Sometimes he he can be hit or miss. Sometimes back in the day, back in '05, and even before that, phew, Ross was on one man. Like mm-hmm. when big matches happened, he was incredible, and I thought he uh, really did a good job in this match, and of course the main event as well. But we'll get to that in a little bit. Before that, speaking of the main event, actually, we get a promo from Batista with Jonathan Coachman, who's bragging about, oh, yeah, I got to go backstage and get an interview, yada, yada, yada. <laughs> and he's trying to talk trash to Batista, and Batista pretty much said that Triple H would have to kill him to take the title off of him on that night. But that's when Triple H walks up in his stupid mustache, <laughs> facial hair, and tells Batista that, that he once, never lost. Oof. It wasn't that bad. You tried that? I did. 
It's not uh, something I would wear, you know, a, a lot, but uh, I tried it. Mm. Like, I ain't no facial hair, like, connoisseur. <laughs> you know, I like my facial hair. I think I'm, you know, I look pretty good, but, like, man, that looks rough. Again, 2005, bro. Weird time in fashion. But Triple H brought up the fact that he has never lost a, a Hell in a Cell match, which isn't true. <laughs> like, it I mean, is if he's talking one on one. Yeah. Right. But he lost that Armageddon he, match. He did. Six man Hell in a Cell. He did. He did not. He did not win. Therefore, he lost. So, <laughs> and they mentioned that later on. And like, oh, he never lost a one on one match. So, yeah, I guess that, that, that was true. Uh, but he definitely lost. Do you know the four people before. he defeated? I looked this up. Uh, Jericho had to be one. Mm-hmm. Uh, they showed a lot of footage of him, so I guess Kevin Nash had to be the other. Mm-hmm. Uh, which that was a terrible match. Of them, like forty minutes. Yeah, that was the man. worst out of the four. Uh, he just beat the hell out of Jericho, from what I remember. Yeah. In 02. Uh, was Shawn Michaels another one? Yep. The longest one ever, forty-seven minutes. Forty-seven minutes. Yeah. For a hell in a cell? Yep. This supposed to be beating the hell out of each other. You're going to last damn near an hour? On a pay-per-view. Oh, <laughs> it's like, on a pay-per-view? What is wrong with y'all? Um, in the fourth. Mm, oh, don't I'm surprised. Play. This didn't like... This is the first one I think about. Who was it? Oh, Mick Foley. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I'm stupid. Actually, no. Mick Foley. No, Cactus Shack. Yeah. Cactus Shack, you're right. Yeah, of course. <laughs> why can I, how can I forget that? Um... But it's funny, all the talk about Triple H had never lost a Hell in a Cell match. All that did was say, hey, he's going to lose tonight. <laughs> like, <laughs> he's well, definitely that's losing thing. tonight. For me, I didn't know that. Like, I was like, crap. Like, Triple H is like, he's going to win. Like, because in my mind, they're not creating a new star in Batista or whatever. It was the Triple H reign of terror. So, yeah, I, I didn't buy that he wasn't going to win until he lost <laughs> i mean until he did um of course triple h and batista get into a fight almost get into a fight they get broken up so uh and that's that didn't we get a very strange segment here <laughs> in the middle of a pay-per-view no less right this is a raw segment but i guess because they had built this up for weeks on raw they could feel like we got to blow it off on a pay-per-view and it's a raw only pay per view, so they needed to fill some time, I guess. And that is when Lillian Garcia comes out, and there's a couch in the ring. She comes out, she's all like just beautiful looking and big smile on her face. She's beaming, right? And then she's like, hey, Visser, come on out here. And here comes Big Visser with a smoking jacket on. And I wrote that he was pretty much committing sexual assault on a weekly basis on WWE TV. Like, he, things he would say to people, things he would do. <laughs> but yeah. back then, yeah. it was just funny. It was just entertaining yeah. back then. Another character that I'm not sure would play well these days. And hey, Viscera no. did what he he did what he could with the character. He did what he could. Mm-hmm. Uh, he he made it he made it into something. I'll give him credit for that. Uh, but there's a couch this in the ring before Big Daddy V. So <laughs> yeah, he wasn't Big Daddy V yet. He was just Viscera. Um. <laughs> they tried so many gimmicks with Viscera. <laughs> you think about it. He was Mabel. Yeah, the he best became one. Viscera. <laughs> yeah, I get. It was his most successful. Honestly, he went King of the yeah. Ring. Got a title match. Got a main event at SummerSlam. Like, yeah. no, it was the main event, right? That was um yeah, was Undertaker versus Undertaker, right? 
No, that was the oh, next Undertaker year, was, 95. That was nine, 95, yeah. right. That wasn't... Jesus Christ. Yeah. Um, 95, boy. But, so yeah, you're probably right about that. And they were tag team champions with, uh, with, uh, with Mo. so... Yeah, for but like Viscera, then you be... Yeah. Yeah, but then he came like the big section, big big sexual machine, Viscera. <laughs> world's biggest... What was his music? The world's biggest love machine. He would yeah. come out and thrust people and stuff. <laughs> yeah. and And then... Big Daddy V. It's just everything. They tried everything with Viscera. Um, but he comes out, sits on the couch, and Viscera and Lillian Garcia is like professing her love to Viscera. Because I'm pretty sure leading up to this, Viscera had like put the moves on Lillian, and Lillian was like wasn't feeling them at first, and then she was feeling them. And now She's professing her love to him. The turns have the tables have turned. Maya have the turns tabled, as they say. All right. Maya have the now turn tables have and there's silence. Another <laughs> office reference. I love it. Right. But she's now not only is she professing her love to him, now she's singing to him. She's serenading him. And Lily Garcia is a great singer. She is. Okay, so she's belting this song out. And I wrote, this is happening on a pay-per-view. Not a Raw. <laughs> a pay-per-view, right? People paid money. Good money. Probably 40 bucks in, you know, back in 2005 mm-hmm. to see this. And, she, like again, she's a great singer, but what the hell is going on here? <laughs> after she's done singing, after she's done crooning, <laughs> she proposes to Viscera. She gets down on one knee and says, will you marry me? Big Viscera. And Viscera goes, well, uh, I'll I, I, I take it into consideration, which is not really the answer. I don't think anybody's ever looking for when they're proposing. Like, take it into consideration. We're going to follow it for later. It's yes or no, my guy. Like, I'm going to take this into consideration. I wish somebody would propose and be like, well, I'll take it into consideration. Let me think about it. Like, that, that's, a, that's a no, essentially. Yeah. But before he can even really get his answer fully out, an old familiar tune plays over the speaker. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, I love that song. That's a tremendous so song. Have you watched Jim Johnson the Godfather? Did himself with that. Have you watched the Broken Skull Sessions yet with the Godfather? I have not, but I want to. So good. I watched it yesterday. So good. I will check it out because I always like the Godfather. I actually, he's a guy a that things. That I didn't know. Right, that's what I'm saying. He's a guy I haven't heard a lot of interviews of yeah. from. So I want to learn about his background, his career, because I have I don't really know. So I'm definitely gonna check it out. But the Godfather, <laughs> we talked about this. He was a pimp on WWE television. Yeah. What a what a career! <laughs> he made a living. Yeah. He's the most highest paid pimp, legal pimp ever. <laughs> like <laughs> like there's a lot of lot of. High paid illegal pimps, but he was making money on a TV as a pimp. But he comes out with, of course, a long train of hoes, like good looking ones, too. Some of them was like, oh my God, <laughs> right? <laughs> Lord have mercy. This is a good time to talk about, though, bringing it back to current day. Bobby Lashley and his yeah. Godfather impersonation every week yeah. on Raw now. Yeah, how about that? I find it hilarious. <laughs> I find it great. Like it, it's it's good to be champ, 
When you're the champ, you get a whole line of good, 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 good looking women <laughs> to be on TV with you or dance with you. I mean, they fine. They look good. I mean, I'm not lying. I ain't playing. They look good, y'all. <laughs> and they look good, too. All right? Let me tell you. So, it's good for Bobby Lashley. It, it pays to be the champ. I'll tell you, boy. MVP looking out for us, boy. I, yeah, I ain't is. mad at it. He is. I'm not mad at it. The hurt business is thriving. Right. It's half what it used to be, but it's business is still booming. <laughs> you got them women around you like that, business is good. All right. Let me tell you, it's thri- like you said, it's thriving. Um, but <laughs> it's funny, when Godfather's making his way to the ring, they pan to Lillian Garcia and she has a look of terror on her face. <laughs> because she knew, and everybody else knew, what was about to happen. And that was that Godfather's going to proposition Viscera with not getting married to Lillian Garcia, but instead hopping aboard the whole train. And Visser thought about it for maybe three <laughs> seconds. <laughs> if that. And he was like, all aboard! <laughs> hopped on. And it was like, no, babe, I ain't marrying you. Get out of here. <laughs> it's like, I don't, like, don't want to marry you, but I can't. I can't. I can't marry you. I just can't. I got to keep doing my thing out here. <laughs> right? So he leaves, and Blaine Garcia is just bawling, crying. And it's a shame. She got left. She went from proposing to her man. They put a whole ass couch in the ring for her. (laughs) (laughs) She had to take it out herself now. Because everyone's like, I ain't touching that couch anymore. She had to throw it over the ropes herself to get it out of the ring. Man. This was stupid. This is on pay-per-view. I didn't even remember this. I remember Lillian, I the L- Lillian Viscera thing. I didn't know it was around this time frame, and I didn't realize this happened on a pay-per-view. But hey, technically, they blew off the feud. <laughs> it yeah, wasn't really it was, a feud. It was WWE, I guess. They blew it off. It was a story. The story, yeah. Oh, feud. What the hell am I talking about? Feud. Well, they're feuded now after this. <laughs> Boy, oh boy, I don't remember. I don't want to remember anything else about this. This is such good shit. According to Vince McMahon, it was. So. You know, he was the only one backstage, like, yeah. (laughs) Right, he was, oh, good. Vince was probably beside himself. (laughs) So. Moving on from that, though, down to serious business. We got the WWE Championship. Defended under triple threat rules. We got Christian and Chris Jericho challenging the champion, John Cena, in the midst of his first of 16 world title reigns. That's crazy to think about. Wow. Also, this was Cena's first Raw pay-per-view. Because this is a brand exclusive. He was a Raw superstar now. Again, Cena was drafted to Raw. Technically, him and Batista were both Raw superstars, but we know that, you know, that was going to last too much longer. And this was the first time that the WWE title had been defended on a Raw pay-per-view. Because, again, before this, SmackDown 
or the WWE title was exclusive to SmackDown. So, but that was interesting. Uh, Christian, his gear was like like his entrance gear. Always kind of, I don't know what to make of it. It's kind of just something else. I don't know. <laughs> with the hood. And this, he had like a sleeveless get up with the C cut out. But yeah. sometimes he had like a whole like jacket type of yeah. deal. I don't know. I don't know if I like it or dislike it. But it was unique. I remember it. So that, I guess that's, that's it. That's what counts, I guess. Uh, but his music back at this point was dope. I liked his D music back then. Yeah. Did you like it? Yeah, it was it was it wasn't terrible. So <laughs> <laughs> Okay. It doesn't stand out. <laughs> it doesn't stand out to me. So I thought it was good. <laughs> so speaking of music, John Cena had released an a rap album. His one and only rap album oh. a month prior to the show. My time is now. Remember that time? I don't remember him releasing an album. That's crazy. You don't? It was like all no. over WWTV. Well, that's this was the time frame where, you know, I, w- I wasn't watching every week. And uh, to me, SmackDown, like I wasn't really paying much attention to that. So I could have easily just not paid attention enough. <laughs> um, I wasn't like, even though I was on the Internet, I wasn't looking too much into it so I definitely didn't remember that at all <laughs> uh, well it was released on May 10th 2005 John Cena and the uh, the title of the album was You Can't See Me my bad that's the name of the album not <laughs> my time the time is now uh, the, the single off of the first single oh. off of the album was The Time Is Now which is of course John Cena's theme song uh, that we've heard for His years best, and years. One of the best themes ever, I'd say. I agree. I think that song is a banger. Yeah. I don't know if other people feel this way, but that song, like when this, when you it's in the arena, beat. yeah. When you in the arena and you hear that, like that's you, you bobbing your head to that. I don't care what nobody <laughs> said. Especially the um, lead up, you know. Once you hear that, you know, start, it's like, yeah, here we go, and I, I get pumped. Right. So I, I it's agree. actually on my gym workout playlist. So I'm, I went to the gym three years ago. So, I don't blame you. <laughs> I don't blame you. Uh, but this, some of the song listing is, is kind of funny because it's like the first song is you know the time is now, then the second song is don't f with us. <laughs> <laughs> what? Yeah, according to Wikipedia, then the third song flow easy featuring Buppy Knuckles, then the fourth song right now that's different from the time is now. This is right now. Then number five make it loud. Six, just another day in West Newbury, Massachusetts, I assume. Seven, summer flings with featuring Rude DeBona. You know Rude DeBona, right? No? Okay. Sure. Now, this is now I did not know this. Number eight, keep fronting featuring Bumpy Knuckles again and Big L. What? (laughs) (laughs) For those that don't know, Big L. Legendary rapper from Harlem, uh, was I mean known? He was known great lyricist back in the nineties. Had epic battles against Jay Z and, and, and many others. Had some bangers back in the day. Unfortunately, he was murdered before you know he's about to really really take off 
in his popularity as a rapper. Like in I think '99, I think his when he was was murdered. Uh, but consider the legend. The fact that Cena had Big L on his album <laughs> in 2005, when Big L yeah died in '99. I don't know what. How did the hell did that happen? Maybe it must have sampled him or something. I don't know. I gotta listen to the song. Hmm. I'm gonna look it up one day. Don't worry. Uh, hmm. We didn't want to know you. Or want you to know. I don't, we didn't want you to know. That's number nine. Then they made a video for this song, "Bad Bad Man." You remember that song? Not at all. Not at all. Don't worry. It's, it's like an A-team knockoff that they. I remember they did the video on SmackDown one time. <laughs> and it's like, oh, the video for Bad Bad Man, John Cena, yeah. And it was like, this is See, trash. I don't remember that, but I remember the Conan music video from like 2000 or 99, whatever it was. I don't, and I don't remember that. I forget the <laughs> name of it, but I remember the beat. <laughs> hmm. uh, number 11, Running Game. Number 12, Bean Town, because you know, you know, he's from uh, the Boston geez. area, featuring Esoteric. I don't know who that is off the top of my head. Esoteric. I don't know. Um, <laughs> and then you know, thirteen. This is how we roll. It's like all the, they all sound the same. Then what now? Know the rep featuring Buppy Knuckles again. Chain Gang is the click. That's number sixteen. He has seventeen songs in this. Oh God, if it all ended tomorrow, it's the last song on this album. So this charted. I think this went to number sixty. Let me see. It went to number 15 on the Billboard 200 and number 10 on the rap charts. Number 3 on the Billboard rap albums. It charted pretty well <laughs> for a wrestler. So, hmm. that's the time is now from John Cena. Why didn't uh, they have him do like another one? <laughs> maybe I don't know. John Cena probably didn't want to commit the time to do it. He probably didn't want to commit the time to making a whole album. <laughs> like that's that's work. Yeah, but he was all in wrestling at this point. They pro- he would have done whatever they wanted him to. Yeah, I guess he had some type of say. But this match itself was very good. I thought this was a very enjoyable match. Uh, they did a Tower of Doom spot before every yeah. time they have like a triple threat or a fatal mm-hmm. four way. You see a Tower of Doom. You didn't see him that much back in the day, so it was kind of like. Unique back then. Instead of today, you see it almost every time. There's yeah. more than two people in the ring. So, um, but yeah, the match was good. I enjoyed it. The crowd was into it, and John Cena obviously won because <laughs> he was just starting his title reign. Uh, but again, I thought it was a really good match. This is when uh, Tyson Tomko was with Christian, and. You know, he hits Cena from behind, and Earl Hebner, of course, doesn't even see it, but he winds up throwing Tomko out. So, I don't know what the hell's going on with Earl Hebner. Nice. Yeah. So, that's your guy, uh, man. <laughs> it was funny. There was some ECW chance, too. I noticed that. And then that's when I looked up, you know, when One Night Stand was. I didn't realize it was only two weeks before this pay-per-view. I remember looking at it, as, I was like, it's weird. They're going to have two pay-per-views in one month. That's when it was, like, so, like, weird. And now we're just kind of used to it if it happens. But uh, yeah. technically, I guess it wasn't a WWE pay-per-view, but, I mean, they produced it. But it really lacked any WWE-ness to it, uh, the first one-night stand. So that was kind of cool. Yeah. And, that changed uh, next year, though. Yeah, it did. 
And I'm um, pretty sure Batista was on that show this next year, <laughs> and I know it's just, obviously Cena was yeah. on the next year show too. Yeah, but I'm pretty sure wasn't Batista on the on the second one night stand. I don't know. It might have been the year after. But I know he was hey, on like, the TV. It. I know Batista was on the TV show after RVD got <laughs> suspended and the big right. show was the champion. But I don't remember if he was on the one night stand 06. I don't know who he, I don't remember what he, who he would have faced. Well, Wharton was on that show. Wharton faced Kurt Angle and lost. In ECW? Taz beat Jerry no, that's Lawler, uh, was Kurt Angle funny. was an ECW guy at that point. Right. He was ECW. Yeah. Wharton yeah. was not. Right. Um,. Why do I think Batista's on the ECW? I, I I do recall him being on the show, like like on ECW TV. Maybe that's what I'm thinking about, not like one night stand. Mm-hmm. So I'm tripping, maybe. But <laughs> it was it's tough to keep track of a lot of that stuff at that time frame. They're like it the was. relaunch of ECW and all that. Then they had like an ECW WWE special that wasn't even. I think it was a Tuesday night. It wasn't a Raw or SmackDown, and I remember taping that. So there was a lot of content going on for that time frame to try and keep up with, you know, before it was yeah. Nowadays, social media it's like stuff. yeah, we're just kind of used to it with yeah. you know Raw Monday, uh, NXT Tuesday, Friday SmackDown, Wednesday. Traditionally, Wednesday is Dynamite, but even though they're on Fridays now because of the playoffs, but um, the NBA playoffs, I should say. But um, we're kind of used to it now, like you said. But back then, like yeah, like. Three shows from WWE? That's a lot. <laughs> yeah. A whole lot. Even though the third one was a one hour on a Tuesday, you know, still like... Right. Up when they tape SmackDown. To, yeah, I have to tape it. Like, I have to tape it. I have to tape it. I was like on Sci-Fi the whole time. So I was like, I need to put on Sci-Fi, tape the show Tuesday night, 10 o'clock or whatever it was. I think it was 10 o'clock. Yeah, because yeah, you said that right right. SmackDown. Because so. the ECW show was live uh, on TV. Right. They, so. And ECW toured with SmackDown. Yeah. Do we so, call yeah, that? It was just like a lot of stuff to keep track of. And I have my labels going. ECW TV, June 28th, 2008. <laughs> you know, the main Why event. Turn into, the main you, turn into Paul Hammond when you said that. <laughs> my good, may I have another volley, my good sir? ECW television in 2006. <laughs> Imagine Paul E would not, he would be gone by the end of the year. Like he was gone after December yeah. to December, <laughs> which was I mean six months from this point. So and was horrific. So. Oh wait, well, that, that, that was 06. I'm sorry. So it was yeah, that was 06. Yeah, I'm, I'm mainly talking about one night stand 2006 right now. So I got to get right. back in that 2005 mindset. But yeah, let's go back to 2005. <laughs> let's go back to 2005 for the main event of the evening. We get Cage, Lauren, and music. But it only lowered halfway, <laughs> not all the way, <laughs> uh, which I found interesting. But it's time for the World Heavyweight Championship being contested inside a hell in a cell. Triple H challenging the World Heavyweight Champion, Batista. Ever since I joined Evolution, Raw has been about one man, Triple H. This is evolution my thought my heart my sweat my blood made this what it is today triple h has made you special when he's ready to step down you be the man when i won royal rumble batista will be in the main event at wrestlemania 21 it was still all about triple h 
I gave you guidance, I gave you direction, and I made you the animal that I see standing in this ring today. I had to make a decision. Go to SmackDown and leave Raw on the Triple H. Sometimes Dave is not smart enough to know what's good for him. And what's right for Batista is for him to go to SmackDown. I'm staying right here on Raw. And at WrestleMania, I'm taking the world championship from you. The Beast has been unleashed. Batista is the new heavyweight champion of the world if you think this is the start of the batista era you are wrong because the rematch clause is rock solid oh the batista bomb and batista's done it that's a rematch you lost maybe you're just not good enough to face me again Walk out that door. Screw you. Triple H got the limousine, drove off the property. He quit raw because of you. I've said a million times, man. I have nothing but respect for you, but you're wrong. This is not my fault. It's Triple H's fault. Who gives a damn? Batista respects Ric Flair. Juiced. I am juiced. It is time to blow off the feud between Batista and Triple H in epic fashion inside Hell in a Cell. We talked about this multiple times in the past, including our Hell in a Cell special we did back, man, was that September of last year? When, during the last Hell in a Cell pay-per-view, before the last Hell in a Cell pay-per-view with the good brother Sawyer. Uh, we did like a bracket you know, determining the best Hell in a Cell matches of all time. I forget where this one ended up, mm-hmm. uh, but I, we know the winner was, you know, the very first Hell in a Cell. Mm-hmm. Um, but we talked about how this view was pretty much like 
a perfect way to get Batista over. It was like simple, straight to the point. He wins at WrestleMania, he wins at Backlash, and now he has to finish it off with a win over Triple H inside Hell in a Cell. Perfect way to end the feud. This made perfect sense. Yeah, and it was one Easy. of the best stories that they've told. You know, that they let, you know, linger a little bit. Uh, I don't necessarily know, because the whole Randy Orton thing was botched from the beginning. So for them to go back so quickly to, like, another Evolution member turning on Triple H type thing, or, you know, vice versa, uh, I was that's kind of where my doom and gloom came in. You know, I was like, oh, this <laughs> is Triple H going to be, you know, he's going to beat Batista because he's, it's going to be the same thing that happened with Randy Orton. And that was just in my head. So I was very, very surprised in a good way that, you know, th- those three matches with Batista and Triple H went the way they did. And it obviously helped Batista because he's a, he's a megastar, you know. Right. right. Big Dave, we got number look for Big Dave, turned into a big movie star, doing a lot of big things. Yeah. Uh, I've seen the most recent movie. He was in Army of the Dead. Uh, it was I, right, but it's still a big movie for Batista. I mean, it's got a lot of notoriety, a lot of promotion behind it. So he's doing big things out here. Uh, but as far as this particular match, one thing I loved, and maybe it's a little thing, but I thought it was a fantastic touch. And that's right before the match, Jim Ross is like, hey, if you have children, don't let them watch this match. This match is not going to be for everybody. It's not for the entire family. That's just a grandfather and me. He pretty much gave a disclaimer before this match saying, this will get graphic. This will get ugly. You probably shouldn't have children watching this. I thought this added to the severity, the seriousness of this match. Like, because he's right. This will get ugly. This will get barbaric in certain instances. But it, we know that. As wrestling fans, we all know that. That's what we expect. That's what we came to see when it comes to Hell in a Cell. But it just adds a little extra when you say, hey, you know, parental advisory, <laughs> you know, warning on the match. Like, you know, parental discretion be advised. Like, it's, it's going to get serious in here. I thought that was great. Yeah, it's a, basically a reminder that while a lot of people are watching this, some might be watching it for a different reason than you are. So if like you have kids and stuff, and you know, this ain't going to be for them. And it's one of those things that I look back now at and appreciate. I didn't, you know, in the moment because they were t- they weren't too far removed from the Attitude Era. Like they still technically, I guess, in the Attitude Era or the Ruthless Aggression Era, which is just really an extension of you know Attitude type storylines, but. Uh, I didn't, you know, I was kind of like, okay, I'm going to see blood, whatever. Like, I've seen Hell in a Cell matches before. But, you know, 16 years later, and based on what they haven't done since then, this is one of the best, you know, type matches for a Hell in a Cell and the story going in and the fact that they hate each other. They were, like, friends before, you know, Jim Ross making that statement. I don't know. Just everything about it clicked. Yeah, I agree. It was just, I thought it was a fantastic touch, and because we we were about to get, you know, when the, you know when you start to match the brutality that comes with Hell in a Cell, and this is what why Hell in a Cell became such a big match because there was such brutality, and you got stuff like blood, which I know why WWE doesn't really have blood anymore, but and and I get it, it's a, it's a, it's a health and safety thing. But a part of me is like, man, I wish they could also just make an exception for certain matches, yeah. and Hell in a Cell would be one of them. Yeah, I, I mean, just, the I just missed that. It just adds to it. 
I don't want it for every match, mm-hmm. but for cage matches, I think we should have some some blood, some color, man. It's just call me old fashioned, I guess. It's just yeah, I'm, I just it just adds to it. This match is already better than most of the matches we see today that earn Hell in a Cell just because of that. Mm-hmm. You know, the day they're only going to go but so far with some of that brutality. I mean, sure, they're not going to, they weren't going to fall off a cell back, you know, in two thousand five like Mick Foley did, and nor should anybody do that anyway. But you just feel like there's a chance that something crazy is going to happen. That's what happened in cage matches. We had people, you know, they they not reality, but the spike. You know, Tully Blanchard took a not Tully Blanchard, Magnum TA took a spike in uh, Tully Blanchard's eye, and it was like, oh my god, it was so crazy. It's just like, oh man, that's they really they must really hate each other. And in this match, you get Triple H choking uh, Batista over the ropes with the chain, and uh, you know, and, and the stairs and the sledgehammers and all that stuff, and uh, the chair that's wrapped in barbed wire, all those different spots, and it's just like, yes, this is what I want from a Hell in a Cell match. Yeah, and the whole like. I think like some weapons are just kind of like cheesy nowadays, but they did have the sledgehammer, the steel chair with the barbed wire. That's all you needed, like in this match, because you had like the cage as well that they used, and for yeah. the steel steps, like different things yeah, that in, you didn't. Today's really matches they're using tables. Yeah, you know, like in Hell in a Cells, which, every time. Right, it's like that doesn't really fit the Hell in a Cell. I guess. It's the same old stuff. Like, at least there seemed to be some effort into this, like these matches back then. Uh, I'll tell you, man. Definitely one of the best Hell in a Cell matches. But at the same time, I don't know if we're ever gonna get that blood again. <laughs> like, you know, well, like bleeding not. from it's the forehead. Not. Like we see people get busted open nowadays, like on their lips or whatever. But we don't see the color. We see it in AEW. But I'm talking about like real color in WWE, where it, I'm not talking about a busted lip or a busted nose or whatever. Uh, like the last time we really saw that on accident was Becky Lynch, right? She had like all over her face uh, coming from her nose, yeah. but it like it's almost like she smeared it all over just to get that, you know. Her nose is all over yeah, her face yeah, too. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, that's what we want to see in wrestling and the, a blood feud like this. Like it was a blood feud, so it made sense and. That was the norm back in 2005, so I wasn't surprised that we got it, but since we've seen what we've seen the last decade plus, it's almost like, is that is this an outlier, Homa? Like, is, is that why we love this type of match so much for the brutality and the blood and stuff? Uh, I don't want it to be, like, folklore anymore. Like, I want to see it today. I don't want it... I don't want right. to like watch old stuff to get that feeling again. I want to see it today, like yeah, make it happen that today. <laughs> of violence and brutality that you get, like you said, from a blood feud. That's what we want out of a blood feud. You know what I'm saying? Like that's what makes it good, bro. So just go through the match real quick. I mean, Triple H was the first one to bleed, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, but you, you know, Batista got his hands on the chain that I mentioned earlier and yeah. whipping him with it and threw him into the cage and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Uh, you can always tell when somebody's blading because the camera's just not on them for like 10 seconds and then yeah. it just cuts back to them all, all of a sudden. And Oh, they're bleeding now. <laughs> Tim, Tim Ross, oh, God. <laughs> right, oh, my God, you know. Um, then Triple H brought out the chair with the barbed wire, hit Batista in the back with him. Batista's back immediately starts bleeding. So I guess it was real barbed wire on that damn chair? What the hell? 
Um, but you know, then Batista got his hands on the chair and hit Triple H in the face with it and started grinding it across his face. And I wrote this to the point where I wrote that Jim Ross calling it just added to the brutality. Like it just he just added something to these matches sometimes back in the day. He was just so good back in the day. I don't, you know, he obviously we know him as among the greatest of all time, but you got to really go back and watch some, some of these matches that he would call and just like, man, it just, he just made it. He just took these matches to the next level with his with his uh, with his announcing. Mm-hmm. Uh, eventually, Batista power slammed Triple H on top of that chair, uh, but eventually Triple H hit a DDT on the chair. Now Batista is bleeding, so the camera cut away from him for a second, and he cut back and he was bleeding. And then Triple H breaks out that damn sledgehammer, according to uh, <laughs> Jr. And he hit Batista with it, but Batista kicked out of the pen attempt. Uh, but he got his hands in the hammer. And I think, did he hit uh, Batista? Did he hit Triple H with the sledgehammer at first? I don't know if he did he, or not. He goes to hit him, and then Triple H has him with a low blow. Ah, and yes. Then he runs at Adam with the sledgehammer a little bit later, but Triple H counters again with a steel chain. Right. So I don't. Finally, well, the th- third time is the charm. He hit him with it uh, his third. Right. Third time, but that was when he was laying on the on the ground, right? And uh, Triple H jumped off the rope. So before that, him. Batista brought the steps into the ring. Yes, it was just bashing Triple H's face into it, which I thought that was pretty unique. <laughs> right? Yeah. Like, um, that's great. Right, and then I guess no, you had the sledgehammer to the face first, and then the step spot. But the sledgehammer spot was cool too. Yeah. I've never seen that before, where he instead of put, lifting his foot up. The sledgehammer goes yeah. up and it hits Triple H in the mouth, and Triple H like spits out blood apparently, yeah. and they're like he's convulsing, <laughs> and he does like a flare bump. He stands yeah. there for a while and falls down. But that I was have, a dope spot though. Hey, we're gonna have that on our Twitter feed. You know, <laughs> that's gonna be a video where look, uh, I hey send out this link to the podcast, but that's gonna be a video. It was a great right. Was I thought that visual. was dope. Yep. Yeah, I thought that was a cool spot that you don't see. I haven't seen before until I watched this match. You know. You know, watch this match back again. At least I don't remember to see in the spot the last time. Um, the last time I watched it. Uh, so it's just funny how you can watch something a couple years ago and then have no recollection of it. <laughs> and you watch it again. Like, oh, I, for- I forgot about that. Yep. But I've definitely seen this match before. <laughs> right. Like, oh, oh, man, I forgot about that. Um, and then Triple H lands a pedigree. Batista kicks out. And then he tried to pedigree on the steps, but Batista hit a spine buster. And then Batista went for a Batista bomb, but Triple H hit him with had the sledgehammer. But before he could hit Batista with the sledgehammer, Batista slammed him down with the Batista bomb to pick up the win in about 25 minutes, which is about the perfect amount of time for a cage match or a Hell in a Cell match. You don't want to do 47 minutes like Triple H and Shawn Michaels. To me, 20 to 25, perfect. Get in there, do your thing, get out, have some brutality, let's beat each other up, and we're done. And I thought this was a very good Hell in a Cell match. Batista's first time in Hell in a Cell, and I think he uh, answered the call of that match. He held up his end of the bargain, which he, you know, he's prone to do. He's Batista. He's good. He's good at what he does. But you know that he didn't like a fish out of water. It looked like he belonged. Uh, yeah, I was uh, almost was confused. I was almost confused. Like, wait, Batista won? Like, is that <laughs> this Triple H hurt? Like, did he tear something? Is that why? Like. Because uh, I was so convinced Triple H was going to win. And, uh, yeah, Batista's, like, proving that he belongs three main events in a row, all against Triple H. And 
I mean, a good person to be against because he's probably calling most of the match. But at the same time, like, you don't just have success because of the person across from you. You know, like, you have to have that talent too. So I think Batista proved that uh, to Vince and to everyone else uh, that he was the guy and he took this seriously. I don't know what was different. Maybe he had a different backing than Randy Orton did when, you know, Evolution turned on him. But that's all I think about now when I think about this is how different the Randy Orton turn was and that feud. And then they just go to Batista and he knocked it out of the park. And it it was just so funny because I'm like, oh, of course, like the big muscly man gets all all the, you know, support behind him and all that. But... Yeah, looking back, I mean, he earned it. He earned every damn bit of it. So uh, I I also love the fact that he, the ending, you know, I think it was an all-time ending. I really do. It's one of the best endings I've ever seen. And the story, uh, when you have Triple H grab the sledgehammer, and I'm like, oh, God, he's going to hit him when he gets up, and he's going to win, and that all that. And he goes to hit him, but Batista's already on his way down with the Batista bomb, so he never gets a chance to hit him. And then he gets right. pinned. And, and he Triple gets, H. Go ahead. Say, he gets pinned with the sledgehammer in his hand. Like, it's, it's beautiful, right. man. Triple H is just beautiful. lying there. He's just lying there with the sledgehammer in his hands, unconscious. It's great. It's a great story. storytelling. It's a great it's, visual. Yep. And they kind of, I think they repeated that finish before, like when he tried to hit somebody, or he, he I know he has hit people in the past, like he, like Undertaker, he hit him from like the powerbomb position, but um, he didn't get it done this time, and it cost him the match. So, which is like such a good damn ending, like that's why he's calling it, it all timer really because I didn't appreciate the story being told back then. Uh, I didn't really appreciate stories in wrestling until well after this, maybe 2014, 15, maybe like the Daniel Bryan thing is when I really started appreciating a story in wrestling. And that's what I love the most about wrestling now. Not exactly the athletic feats, but more of the story. And that gets me interested. So when I watch something like this from that era that I just didn't really appreciate the story when I watched it live or even afterwards, it's just like a great damn story, a great visual, and I appreciate it even more now. I'll probably put it on a higher pedestal than a lot of other people, but one of my favorite finishes of all time, really. It was. It was. It was a dope finish. Like I said, the visual of him lying there with the sledgehammer in his hands was like you live by the sledgehammer, you, and you, I guess you proverbially die by the sledgehammer. It's yeah. just... It was, it was really dope. It was really dope. And then, you know, all they right, ended so, it right from there. They They didn't have the camera on Triple H. They had the camera on Batista, and it was like, thanks for joining us. I was like, oh, like I was expecting a big, you know, send-off for Triple H at some point, but no, they ended it right away. So I was like, oh, this is Batista's moment, and that was a good touch. Yeah, that was a good touch. So with that, let's wrap it up with some final thoughts on Vengeance 2005. I think it uh, c- could be one of the best pay-per-views of 2005. I love WrestleMania, but... Uh, you know, they had Cena and Batista on it. They probably wanted to pop a pay-per-view number. They still hadn't decided to go back to dual brand pay-per-views. So I think this deserves, uh, you know, one of the best pay-per-views of the year. And I'll stick by that. I'll put it up against any of the other pay-per-views. And I'm sure we'll do deep dives on more 2005 stuff. But uh, one of the, I mean, 
it can only other than WrestleMania and maybe the Royal Rumble, it can only go down from there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I, I mean, look, the main events delivered, the both title matches delivered, mm-hmm. and you got Kurt Angle and Shawn Michaels. I mean, top three matches were great. You know who also delivered tonight? <laughs> the Sixers, baby. The Philadelphia 76ers, boy. <laughs> I have been looking at the score the whole time, not saying anything, not mentioning anything. And I saw us slowly but surely pulling away yeah. from the Wizards. I never and, turned yeah, it off. I ben never... Simmons with a triple double. Yep. Let's go. I never turned it off. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's why uh, you'll hear me. You might have heard me go, oh, it was when uh, Russell Westbrook missed one free throw and Dwight Howard was getting the crowd to like hyped up from the miss another and he made it, uh, but it, it like rattled around the rim. So I was like, oh, so if you heard me do that a little bit earlier, that was why <laughs> I didn't mute myself. So, well, phew, thank goodness. Round two, here we come. Yeah, here we come. Got it done tonight. One, two, three, four, five, sixes. <laughs> Ten, nine, eight, seventy sixes. Let's go. We got it done. I didn't really want to talk about it too much because, you know, yeah. just yeah, that's how we are. Like, I, get it. I, get it. I get it. But, yeah, we're on around two, baby. So let's go. <laughs> we back. We out here. Let's get him beat healthy and let's do it. So, with that said, Nick. Let's wrap it up for episode 286 with some plugs, please. You can follow us at Shooters Radio on Twitter. You can follow me at Nick Bacone on Twitter. You can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Shooters Radio. And you can find this podcast on phillyinfluencer.com and perhaps phillyvoice.com. I am at Von M. Johnson on Twitter. You can find my writing at philadelphiaeagles.com. If you can't find me there, you can probably find me out here in these streets. I am fully vaccinated, so I'm out here, back again. Um, and you can find us on Patreon, patreon.com slash Shooters Radio. You want to be like Chris Johnson and get yourself a request that's going to get fulfilled on the show? Head on over there. Oh, also, you can get on the show. How about that? And give your thoughts like Chris Johnson did earlier in the show. So thanks again to Chris Johnson. Thanks to all of our patrons out there. We will get to your requests in the very near future. Of course, you can check us out again, patreon.com slash suitors radio. For Nick McCone, I am Vaughn Johnson. Thanks for listening to episode 286 of the Straight Shooters, and we'll catch y'all again next week. Hey, baby, this is Jimmy Hart, baby. The mouth of the South, Jimmy Hart. And you're listening to the Vaughn Johnson and Nick McCone of the Straight Shooters, baby. Yeah, baby. Hulk Hogan's is my best friend. Did you know that? Listen to the straight shooters. This Donnie Wahlberg from WrestleMania 10. And you listening to Vaughn Johnson and Nick Pacone at the straight shooters, y'all. <laughs>